Listen, it has been three years, Zach, since South by Southwest has been back in Austin. Because uh, this is one of those festivals where a lot of people don't realize that it's not just a film festival. It's one of those that goes through film. It, it goes through comedy. There is a music festival going on. There's so many things happening at South by that uh, in 2020, which was the last year that they were ready to like get it prepped. We had gone to Sundance, probably got every bug possible. Uh, and things started shutting down, they had to think, are we going to have all these things running at the same time with, like, what is it, probably thousands upon thousands of people? It happens during spring break. Mardi Gras ending. It's really close to New Orleans. On top of that, they, it's St. Paddy's Day towards it, uh, and they decided to cancel it. It was one of the first big festivals that had canceled and pivoted over to kind of like a hybrid of online. Uh, by 2021, I think they had a better online experience that we were able to cover here on Intercut. You can see the whole thing over mm -hmm. there. But, dude, it is so good to be back at a festival like this. Now, uh, like yeah. I said, there's there's a multitude of things that happen here. We're, we're going to be covering everything from the film festival. We have so many movies from all the categories. We're going to be going down one by one, all of our favorites, what we thought were the best. Because we always feel with a lot of film festivals, it's cool to approach them from the kind of competition perspective to see which one of these categories kind of produces some of your favorite movies uh but we will have this entire letterbox list right down below so if you want to add some of these to your watch list anything that you know interests you uh mark it down maybe we miss some of these movies let us know down in the comments but mm -hmm. there's a lot of movies to go through uh but there's also so much that happened at the festival uh <laughs> we had just done sundance not too long ago and we really like sundance because unlike south by you don't need an entire pass because this really is a privilege to have. Uh, you cannot watch anything individually at South by unless yeah. you're given or pay for a pass, which means that there is no individual movies on like Sundance, on like TIFF. They did have a virtual festival, uh, but they also did have a lot of movies that could only be seen there. A24 had probably a majority of them. And uh, I think we've been discussing this, that we love virtual festivals, but there's going to come a point where if it's a really big movie, you're going to have to be there and all the indie movies are going to be, uh, you know, cast kind of to the virtual side. Yeah. It's almost going to be like there's tiers to the film festival and like the, the stuff that people are really excited for might only happen uh, in person. But then the indie festivals will tell you, ah, oh, those Marvel people taking things away from the theaters. It's kind of the same model happening here. And A24 really knocked it out of the park with a lot of the movies that they had. I know Lionsgate had a couple here. There was a handful of like, 12 to 15 movies that could only be seen theatrically at the fest. We tried to catch every single one. Zach was able to do a lot of the stuff remotely as well. So we're going to be going through each one. But being over there, dude, it was crazy. Because they had so much stuff to give away. So many just... That's the whole point of South By. They like making it a party. That's why it was a good thing that they canceled it back in 2020. Uh, but they had a bunch of yeah. different elements. Dude, they had Bob Odenkirk was over there giving away hot dogs. He's got this whole Audible book. They're giving away uh, pencils and stuff like that. Uh, the Atlanta, Atlanta, with their final season, had this entire uh, trippy house, I guess is what you could call it. Uh, so you can see right here, they were giving out stickers. You would, like, wait in line, and they had this 420 lounge. Uh, they gave out these beautiful-looking posters right here. You get it right there. You would go in there. It was kind of like a raffle. They had some beans in there. They were yeah. selling, not selling, but giving away coffee beans. Uh, I never got yeah. any of the coffee beans. A bunch of people were walking with beans. I know they're not going to grind them, uh, but they had these beautiful giveaways for Atlanta, which I, it was the closing night film, even though it's not a 
film. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, they and were it probably... Had, it ended up as the uh, audience award winner from the headliners, too, despite, again, not being a film. Beautiful. I mean, good for them, but for the most part, I thought it was really interesting to see a lot of these like pop-up stuff that they had. Doesn't it's just all a part of the experience, so it doesn't really change much. They also had these straws, bro, and they engraved right in the middle. Atlanta. Ooh. If you could even see that right there, and they were super tiny, but uh, really cool giveaways. Um, they had a lot of podcast house, which is really interesting because obviously we get emails uh, to like sign up for these type of MCNs. And they promise all these perks. Well, I was in line with people who are assigned to those MCNs as well, but we were still able to get a bunch of the stuff. A lot of it is so goofy that it's just like tat Warner Bros. stuff onto things. They were giving out these Funko Pops for the Batman. And um, if you check over on Twitter and on the LME, I'm going to break down all the different footage that I got. Uh, They had the Batmobile there. They had the Batsuit. The Penguin suit was there. I still can't believe how tiny that Catwoman suit is, but when you compare it to the Batman suit, then you see how Robert Pattinson was able to, uh, I guess, really stand out. I never got that Funko Pop. I went back every single day for that Batman Funko Pop, and I was staring right at him. And they say, come back tomorrow. But I didn't end up oh. getting, yeah, I didn't end up getting the little Lego. I'm a big Lego guy, so it was cool to see that there. Uh, but for the most part, it, it was a really cool experience to just go down there at the festival. Um, again, I think Austin's just worth visiting in general. It was really cool yeah. to see a lot of the little comedy stuff that they had. They were hosting some of the music stuff online. But I really like the keynotes this year. Um, NFTs, man, they've been really pushing these. I'm always open, Zach. I'm open, and I think you're you're probably m- deeper into that whole world, perhaps, than, than I would. I was eh, able to sure. learn a lot about them. Yeah? I'm skeptical, man. I just don't get it. They're ta- <laughs> tell me. Tell me something I don't know, man, because... I mean, I'm I'm no less skeptical, I think, than you are. Uh, I just maybe own a couple more <laughs> NFTs and yeah, speculation than you do. I, uh, but I'm not... <laughs> I don't like it taking over my film festivals, man. I heard there were people going around offering tequila and it turning out to be just like an NFT. So I don't, I don't, I don't vibe with all that, man. It, it's, it's don't, don't mess with the ge- genial vibe at the film festivals. Ever since I got my uh, cereal for Space Jam, when they were doing those sponsor, you know, the, the collaborations <laughs> yeah. and, I, and it said it was going to come with something and I opened it, you know, like a kid on a Saturday morning going to, and it was a piece of paper that said, go to www.whogivesacare to get my NFT <laughs> prize. That's when I knew that this was taken over. Like, the yeah. kids are going to grow up with cereal that doesn't even come with prizes anymore. It's just going to be digital tokens. They <laughs> talked about equality with these tokens. But then if you didn't have it, you weren't able to get into certain events. Uh, they talked about how this is for the little guy and you're able to really protect your stuff. Yet it was the biggest corporations who were pushing these NFTs. Bro, a lot of it kind of seems like an easy way to never give out a water bottle because this costs money. <laughs> now you can give out a digital water bottle and save mm. all those gross costs. Yep. It's gross, bro. I don't know. It, it feels like the ultimate copyright system that they're that they're making over there. But it, it was a big part of all of these things that they were pushing over there. Dolly even had a Dollyverse thing. I'll get to yeah. that when we talk about her movie. But um, if you are still interested in seeing a couple of the keynotes, it was really cool to see a lot of people talk, and I love the ability to be able to see them online. The most ironic ones were the NFT or Metaverse ones, where you had to be there. You had to be there in person. A little weird to do that, but uh, nonetheless, 
getting rid of all the stuff that we have there. Let's dive into all of the movies because it was a jam-packed schedule. A lot of people think that with things being virtual, it's not going to be the same and people aren't going to want to go want to go to theaters. I loved it. Zach, yeah. I'm not saying it was better than Sundance. But we had a little warmer than Sundance, I'm sure. It was warmer than Sundance. Um, (laughs) But it was such a cool experience to go and see something in a theater, have the Q&As there, go back and be able to either catch a movie again or be able to catch something else that wouldn't fit in the schedule. And look, I saw some of these movies uh, online. They would have been so much better in person. And some of the movies Mm. that I saw in person, they would not have been matched online. Uh, But I love this hybrid festival. I know a lot of people are still concerned with, like, masks and and vaccinations. And they, I guess they did the best they could. I'm going to be honest. People were sneezing all over the place. That's not going to (laughs) change. But when you're seated in a theater with 210 people, that's one thing. When you're seated in a theater that's 1,100 people, I don't know how much a mask can do. But I'm still always for having a virtual accessible festival. So I hope that they continue that. I know not every movie is going to be doing it because it all depends on the studio. But for the most part, I thought they did a really good job being able to host the hybrid platform. So let's get into it. We're going to be going down through each category from top to bottom, seeing what movie should end up on your must-watch list. And like I said, all the headliners were in person. So I tried to do my due diligence and catch every single one. And I got to come out. With the best of the best. Zach, the Daniels did their thing. The Daniels have returned with everything, everywhere, all at once. One of the standouts of the festival and easily the best headliner. I told Zach they had one of the best Q&As I've ever seen at a festival. They they got hit with that question of, what what would you tell a first-time filmmaker? Everybody groaned. And then they proceeded to give one of the best answers, dude. I'm not saying that it's better than one of our favorite movies, which is Swiss Army Man. Swiss Army Man. Damn, it's in competition. This can only go up for me. It is a movie that really does live up to its title of everything, everywhere, all at once. It stars Michelle Yeoh as a... Uh, she, she runs a laundromat, and she's, really, she's dealing mm-hmm. with the most existential thing. It's not divorce. It's not her daughter. It's taxes. A lot of the movie <laughs> deals with her having to face the IRS, but then uh, dealing with this multiverse of what I call mm-hmm. the multiverse of madness, uh, mayhem, and motherhood. You could also say the multiverse of madness, hot dogs, and rocks. There is so much that happens in this movie that if it's your first Daniel movie, I, I think you're going to have a blast with it. I think it goes all over the place, and for many, it may be a little bit too much, um, but that's what the Daniels is. If you haven't seen the Turn Down For What video, or uh, I saw Zach actually has a playlist of a lot of their stuff. Uh, we'll try to link that down below. Yeah. Do yourself a favor. I can recreate that playlist, too. Yeah. Uh, you, dude, you have it public. I was watching some of the stuff last night. You have it on Multiplex. <laughs> yeah, bro. It's it's a good playlist. I appreciated it. Uh, no problem. They're just so creative. And what they're able to do here is go balls to the wall crazy. And it does get a lot. Because I was telling Zach that there was a, a person who was watching in front of me not vibing for the first hour mm. of this movie. They're like, it's just too much. But it's all done with a purpose. Because when that third act came around... She was almost in tears, bro. This is a movie that I hope people give the chance uh, as it's rolling out theatrically right now. Uh, I, I believe it's limited near you, Zach, and it's going to be opening up a little bit more. Um, yeah. Look, I, I know some people were talking about this being kind of... We saw in the chat someone say it was a reel for them being in Marvel. They specifically said, we're not going to second unit like Marvel does. They got the boy Andy Lee to come in. If you don't know, he was in Marvel. I was doing the math. I think they got the homie to be in this. Before he did Shang-Chi. 
because Andy Lee was filming this with Michelle Yeoh before they started production on Shang-Chi. I'm very curious to see how that mm. goes about because the Daniels' whole uh, outlook for the action scenes in this movie, which are impeccable. It's not just an emotional movie and a crazy movie. The action is what I love to see in a film. Uh, Andy Lee. Andy Lee's the new eco, man. This man really? brings it. Oh. Wow. I've been contemplating that. You know how big that is to me. If you don't know, watch the Raid movie. yeah. This man is bringing in that energy from all these movies that you see right here. Uh, they scoped him out of YouTube. He does a lot of stuff on YouTube. Mm. They literally just Googled him. They reached out to him. They got him on a plane, met with him. He kills it in this movie. Uh, everything about this movie, I think, is great. Uh, I think, again, it may be a little bit too much for people at certain points, but it's all for a purpose. It's, it's a movie that doesn't yeah. take itself too seriously, yet is probably about some of the most serious subject matter possible just like Swiss Army Man was. Zach, I think you watch this tomorrow. I cannot, cannot wait to hear your reaction to this. Oh, man. I'm very, very excited. You know, that that is the reaction that I'm hearing is that it is a lot of movie. It might be excessive mm -hmm. for a lot of people. It is also, it is also like two and a half hours long. Uh, if you are somebody who's seen Swiss Army Man, do you feel like this is even, even more movie than that one was? Did they go like even deeper into that crazy aesthetic of theirs. They said it was every rejected idea that never got made from music <laughs> videos to movies put into this. Oh man. That's what I love about their, their approach. You can tell it's like kitchen sink. It's crazy. It's crazy. So do yourself a favor, uh, scope out this movie, G give it a chance. Know that it's a little bit different. You're not going in trying a lager. You're, you're going in getting an IPA full of yeah. flavor, full of everything else. So everything, everywhere, all at once. My top of the headliners. Coming in very close, though, at number two. A24's Among Us. Bodies, bodies, bodies. <laughs> what a cast, dude. Uh, pretty much this is Mafia. To some people, it's Among Us. To some people, I, I don't know. What, what do you call this game? It, it, it's, it's yeah, a I usually go Mafia. You go Mafia? Yeah, I'm a Mafia guy as well. I know people have various names for it, but they call it Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. You're playing a game. They're stuck in a mansion. They're all these you know, rich group of people. You have a, lot, a, a very fantastic cast here from uh, Rachel Sennett, who I think steals the show. And then Amanda Sandberg, mm. really good. She's also a producer on this. Uh, Maria Bakalova. Right. It's got two movies in the fest. Really killed it in this one. They're stuck during a rainstorm in this really big mansion, and they're playing this game called Bodies, 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 where one of them is the killer, and, you know, they have to stop the game anytime there's a body on the floor. What happens when the bodies start actually being dead? They say this is going to be released in summer. I hope this becomes a hit for people. The only negative thing I've heard is people who don't like the um, Gen Z-ness of it. I think that's a weird critique. I think that this is a just balls-to-the-wall crazy movie in terms of the dialogue that they have. Not to call it like Shiva Baby, considering Rachel Sennett's in it, but just the, the snappy dialogue that they have with each other. Um, you also have Pete Davidson in this movie, who I thought was hysterical. Uh, he did not appear for the Q&A, but damn, that boy has... That boy has a crowd. People were wearing his shirts. They were dying to really? see him uh, in the movie. Um but no, they brought a lot of energy in this film. Uh, again, it all takes place mostly in one location. And it was really interesting to hear that they lit it themselves. Because a lot of the movies taking place during the rainstorm, they are lighting it with their own cell phone cameras, with their own flashlights. And it becomes this really good script dealing with paranoia. Because they're a group of friends who some have been more connected than others. Uh, there's no trailer to this. There's barely any images. They claim there's going to be a summer release. 
I hope people have a really good time with this one. Bodies, bodies, bodies. Very cool. Yeah, I'm super excited for that one. Not just because of the cast, but it does seem like it's got a a pretty fun uh, way into the the idea. You know, it's a relatable in a weird way because we've played that game, even though it's yep. not necessarily such a deadly version of it. Dude, and there's some good podcast jokes. <laughs> There's some really good podcast lines. Uh, I've always had my favorite podcast line was when someone asked somebody for for you know a question and they respond too long and I can't remember what movie it was and they go sheesh I didn't ask for a podcast that may have been <laughs> topped in this movie. Um, but yeah, bodies, bodies, bodies. Keep it on your radar. One that's about to come out coming in my number three from the headliners: the unbearable weight of massive talent, the wow. most Nick Cage Nick Cage movie, which is. Freaking fantastic. Until you realize every Nick Cage movie has kind of already been the most Nick Cage movie. So this is just the Nick Cage movie, Zach, that's letting you know that we're doing the Nick Cage thing. Which is cool. Um, Mm -hmm. But there is a part of this where, honestly, the the worst part about it is technically the direction. Uh, Pedro Pascal Mm. himself is a huge, huge Nicolas Cage fan. And the whole premise of the movie is that Nick Cage wants to retire, but Pedro, who's a super fan and may be involved in some international, you know, political stuff, ends up bringing him in. And besides trying to um, solve this crime that's happening, is trying to get Nicolas Cage to unretire because he's got to realize that his talents, his unbearable weight of massive talent, isn't just for him. It, it's meant for the world. There are a lot of deleted scenes in this movie. I know people are going to love this movie. The, the more you know his filmography, the more this movie's going to hit. It does a lot of big Nick Cage stuff, but we needed the soft Nick Cage. And mm. in the Q&A, he came out and he said the same thing. He said there was a lot of moments that got cut from the movie that was the reason why he signed on to begin with. These little slow hmm. elements where he's reenacting some of his favorite movies and they were just cut. Nah, bro, you got to keep him in there. Um, yeah, a little bit too much Bad Lieutenant, a little too little leaving Las Vegas. Y- yes, and I think that in those down moments, it would have really hyped up the moments where he goes super yeah. crazy. Um, there's a lot of surprises in this. There's a lot of callbacks, uh, and I really do love it. And I- I'm hoping on a rewatch, um, I enjoy it even more, especially catching the little references. But I, I-, I want to see those deleted scenes. It-, it was crazy to hear that Pedro and Nick we're telling the director, like, how could you keep this movie out? How, how could you keep this? He's like, oh, I completely forgot about that. And I'm like, bro, come on. There, and, and there's a lot of direction for a lot of the side characters where it, it feels too by the numbers. The director had, hmm. I think he's only done the awkward moment. Yeah, so not exactly like a a visually dynamic <sighs> filmmaker. The idea, the script, you know, all the concept, it's all there. He does his best. But I think keeping uh, a lot of the stuff that Nick had pitched in a Nick Cage movie about Nick Cage, I think would have been the smart idea. Nonetheless, a lot of people aren't going to care about that. Uh, It's everything you want in a Nick Cage movie blended into one. It was fantastic. I loved it. I can't wait to see those deleted scenes. Unbearable weight of massive talent. I think comes out in April. Definitely a theatrical movie to see. Um, Wrapping up our final two movies that were at the fest. This one you actually got to see. A Netflix movie that's being released yeah. uh, that is linked later going back to his rotoscope but has told everybody, no, it's not the same as Scanner Darkly. No, it's not the same as... What's the other one that he did as well? That kind of... Uh, ooh, uh, Waking Life? Waking Life, okay. yeah. He claims it's different. 
looks the same, just even nicer to me. But pretty similar. Zach, I think you got to catch this one because they were able to roll out some Netflix links. This should be theatrical, yeah. but it's coming out on Netflix April first. Talk about it. Yeah, it'll be out pretty soon. I thought it was a pretty interesting uh, link later film because it's very much in that kind of vibesy mold that I think a lot of his films get. That stuff like um, uh, what is it? Fast Times, uh, or is he is he the other one? I'm always uh, dazed and confused. Um, it's actually dazed and confused. That's him. Uh, or or Boyhood or Before Sunrise. In that, they, sometimes they feel a little bit plotless and more about just like spending time with those characters. I felt yes, that sir. in a big way from this one. It's you know it has this whole uh, thrust of the plot of this idea of a kid being recruited into the Apollo space program. To me, that was not any of the stuff that I was really responded to in the movie. I just thought it was really cool to get this sort of like nostalgia driven, uh, look at what childhood was like in the sixties. Like, I feel like it's Linklater going through his memories and just trying to recreate various moments from his life in in that it's so it's all these like little minor things and these forgotten moments that feel like precious in a way when assembled like this. And when I was watching it, you know, it is a little bit slow because there is a lack of that like narrative thrust, but there are all these very charming things that ultimately made me kind of really enjoy it. So, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a mixed bag, but I thought it was really delightful. Yeah. Uh, to go even further where you said, cause he does, he takes a whole tangent from that whole bit about a kid who gets thrust into the Apollo 10 and a half program. Cause they made it too small. <laughs> Dude, some people were walking out of theater calling it revisionist history. I'm like, no, I don't think a kid actually went to the moon. <laughs> that would be the fantastical element of it. Yeah. Now, when talking about how deep they went into it, they claimed that, uh, because the whole family is watching this big pivotal moment of the, the rocket launch. Anytime they switched the channel, they painstakingly went back and made sure that that was the exact thing playing on the television at that exact time. Yeah. See, that's the thing that's pretty cool about some of those rotoscoping moments is that they're not just rotoscoping like the fictional history. They're rotoscoping some real history like Mm -hmm. those Apollo launches, like the famous JFK speech at Rice. I I thought when they did stuff like that or when they rotoscoped actual movies, I thought that was really cool. And not to mention he goes through what all of his favorite shows. All of his favorite yeah. foods, all his favorite everything. It, it is, this is a movie that takes its time. You have to understand that. So yeah. it, it may not be for a lot of people who don't like those. Like you said, you're just hanging out with the family. You're just living in this time period. But if you live during this time period, damn, is this going to be a nostalgia trip? It really yeah. deals with memory. Uh, a lot of it. There's this really cool concept of like how you remember the past, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, but even if you you weren't a part of this time, uh, there, there are some scenes that hit. There's a scene with the dad yeah. dealing with a gas station. I'll just leave it there. I found myself <laughs> doing that at gas stations. <laughs> uh, it's going to be yeah. on Netflix. So I think you recommend it just as much as I do. Absolutely, yeah. And I think another thing that's really cool about it is because it is sort of this childhood-driven movie, even though it, I, like, I don't think it's necessarily a kid's movie. I don't think kids would have the patience nah. or something like this. But one thing I appreciated about how it was constructed, the narration almost felt like it was written by a child, right? Like mm-hmm. it was it was meandering and kind of plotless and, and uh, not really – like 
almost like listing the things that he cared about rather than the things you might be interested in in the story. Exactly. And that's kind of what is good about this movie. That's cool. It is done by an older version of the kid, though, which is the only reason where I was like, <laughs> he's technically an adult. Yeah. Uh, but I was surprised to see it was uh, Jack Black, who yeah. one of my favorite Linklaters is School of Rock. People forget that he, he mm-hmm. made a masterpiece with that movie. Uh, he's True. actually the voice, True. and I, I just did not connect it at all. I, did not think it was him. I don't. I don't know if you caught it <laughs> yeah. right away. I kept I, wondering. I caught it right away. I don't know really? why. Really? Wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like Jack Black a lot. So. Yeah. So it was really cool to see him there. Um, but yeah, put this one on your radar. Comes out on Netflix. Uh, I believe right at the beginning of April. So check April that one 1st, out. Yeah. Uh, you're gonna be watching this one tonight. Uh, wrapping up my final movie. We also. I'm not including it's, Atlanta. Uh, I did not get to see that one because that was a closing film. So shout out to Atlanta. It's out Zach tomorrow. Me. It's out tomorrow. And dude, you said that Atlanta's. Wrapping this year, what the heck? I know. I'm not ready for it. <sighs> okay, shout out Atlanta. We love Atlanta. Lost City of D. You'll be watching this tonight, so I'll keep it short. It, it's a good little rental. This is a, a movie where they shot over in the Dominican Republic. Uh, nice banter between the two. I didn't know that Channing Tatum wasn't supposed to be in the movie, and it was supposed to be Ryan Reynolds. I'm a little Ryan mm-hmm. Reynolds out. <laughs> so, Channing, you, you know, he just had a number, uh, a top five movie with Dog, and now he's over here doing what Channing does best. Uh, it's a cool little adventure where they go out into the woods about a uh, book writer and the model who does the book covers getting lost because uh, evil Harry Potter has decided that he wants her to decode this the the map to the lost city of D. Um, it's not bad, bro. It's cute. It's funny. It's nice. Yeah. I love Sandra Bullock. And honestly, my biggest review for this was I got to see Sandy live and that's all I care about, bro. She's retiring. She said she's taking a break. I oh, might no. give it another. I might give it another half just so she can come back. But right, I, I'm a messer, dude. I, I I love Sandra Bullock. So I think from the vibe of the trailer, you get a pretty clear picture for the tone that the movie is striking. And like I've seen a lot of people respond to the trailer saying this looks terrible, and then I've seen a lot of people respond to the trailer saying this looks great. Do you feel like it's it's well represented by its trailer at least? Yes, because it's the whole movie. There is a cameo that should have remained cool. secret, and it's not. You can yeah. see it right there in the cast. You see it in the trailer, and they show you, like, everything. Uh, and that's another part that may have taken away a lot from me because it's like, yeah. oh, wow, I didn't get those surprises. So that's kind of sad to see. Uh, you'll even notice they play off the name The Lost City. If this movie used to be called The Lost City of D, and now it's just The Lost City, it's a joke they make in the movie. And ironically, it's a joke that they apply to themselves. Uh, you'll see it when you see it. But it's a cute little adventure. It's not a yeah. great movie, but... Uh, but it's a fun movie, I guess. Yeah. Leave it there. I heard the girl Patty is funny in it. Alina and I went through her IMDb, bro. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about yeah. it. This is her first big feature. Like, I mean, I guess a simple favor. Uh, she was the lead in Together Together. I don't count the voice acting. Lost City of D will be her front and center as the mm-hmm. assistant who has some of the best jokes, I felt. So I'm I'm very excited to for people to finally have her on the radar. So yeah, thank you. Thank yeah. you for pointing that She's, out. Yeah. She'll blow up for sure. So, again, those were all of our picks for these top that you see right there, uh, also including Atlanta. Everywhere, all at once, one of my favorite headliners, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Again, this whole list is down there. If any stood out to you, definitely put them on your radar. As we move over to the narrative feature competition, this had eight movies in it. Uh, A lot of them were really interesting to see from first-time filmmakers. A lot of them had really good performances. Again, we're starting from top to bottom. This one won the acting. 
damn, I wish I would have taken the big one as well. Nika. Yeah. Uh, as, as you can see right here, not even a poster for it yet. Let me try to bring up some stills for y'all. This, still nothing. Uh, this is a movie that deals with a young poet uh, from Russia. It's a Russian film in where she got thrust into the spotlight. Everybody was giving her all of this attention and then just disappears. And you're covering her back in the early 90s um, as she's kind of trying to deal with continuing to be a poet. Maybe she wants to do acting, but then at the same time, there's a lot of trauma in her past because her mom also went through the same thing. I freaking loved this movie. She uh, won an award for her acting in this, rightfully so. Um, I can't wait for you to catch this one. I I'll say it no more than put this one on your radar. Hopefully this gets a nice release, um, even if it's digital, because, uh, yeah, very good movie, very good performances. Yeah. And I don't want to spoil anything else because the third act just takes you for a loop. But it's based off a true story as well. So I'm very curious to hmm. look back on, on uh, just her, her real life story and uh, everything that came with that. Nico. Nice. Yeah, another buddy of mine, Isaac Feldberg, uh, mentioned that this was the best movie he saw at South by Southwest. So sure. I'm, I'm really excited that both of you yes. responded so strongly to it. it. Good performances from everyone around as well. So uh, another one that deals with you know, childhood trauma, memory, and just anchored by some really good performances, man. Uh, the one that won the big award. Uh, last year, you had Cooper Rafe coming in and taking it all, uh, starring and directing in the movie, and now you have another individual coming in, starring and directing in his movie. I Love My Dad. It comes from James, I'm trying to see his name over here, Morosini. He was originally uh, making this movie because he himself experienced a moment where his dad texted him, didn't get a response. And the father decided to not catfish his son, but create an alternate profile on Facebook because he was blocked, where he pretended to be a girl who he then fell in love with. The dad claims this isn't a true story. The son said, Dad, yes, it is, and made a feature film out of it that is now playing at <laughs> South By and won the biggest award. Zach, you were really <laughs> anticipating this movie. Mm-hmm. It is... Got my boy Patton. It is the cringiest dad joke as a feature Ugh. film. And it makes you squirm, but it's really good. Um, or I'll say cool. it's, 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 it's pretty good. They have really yeah. interesting elements with it because he's having this whole conversation with his dad, but he doesn't know it. He thinks it's the girl. Where I really like how they played off the texting, the idea that you're not just texting somebody and it comes off very boring. When you're texting somebody, you're imagining something in your mind, and they do a fantastic job bringing that to life. Um, mm. Obviously, the twists and turns are intriguing. They make you kind of squirm a bit because he's really creating a relationship with this girl. Um, but I, I can't wait for you to catch this one because it won the big award. He seems to have also won the, the audience award as well. I love my dad. My second favorite out of the narrative competition. Very cool. You had uh, your boy Patton on there. I had this one yeah. on my radar because I think Jim Gaffigan is a pretty good comedian and while this was pitched as a comedy it was also pitched a little bit as a drama he is mm. playing a sort of phil not uh bill nye character in this movie where he's really into space oh. may have the opportunity to go into space um i'm gonna keep this so brief sec this is a movie that i want to rewatch immediately because the ending makes you reframe the entire film colin west you wow. made a charming movie but you've had this movie stuck in my head for a minute, bro. There are movies I want to compare this to, but it will spoil the movie. Put this on your radar, bro. Linoleum. Okay. 
Yeah, I was disappointed that we didn't get to, or I didn't get to catch this one yeah. at least. I, I think you would have enjoyed this one. Uh, I, again, between Nika and honestly, I may on a rewatch, Linoleum may even be higher for me than uh, mm. uh, I Love My Dad. But I thought it was a very charming very cool. film. Uh, don't want to say much to it because I, I do very little going in other than that that he played a sort of Bill Nye character and uh, right, very charming. Uh, you did catch this next one, which I believe won an acting award as well, or even exceptional filmmaking. It is In Us All. Yeah. Um, this is sort of like a more low-key, restrained drama uh, about a man who uh, from London who goes to visit uh, the homeland of his mother and then uh, ends up in a car crash that kills a teenage boy and almost kills him. And um, it kind of ends up being about him processing his grief, not just from this accident, but also from uh, his childhood and, and of his mother. And, um, you know, this exploration of identity and where you belong and where you feel home. Um, but it does it in this very kind of dour, bleak tone. It's very... Uh, tightly wound the whole time and uh he feel i think the performance from cosmo jarvis is kind of like he, he's his character is like on the edge of tears but never will let them actually flow i feel like in this movie um ultimately i just didn't really think it added up to much for me i, I thought it was kind of a mood piece but a yes. mood that i didn't yes i didn't really feel much of a response to, especially after a while. Like I did, I wanted it to go more places than it ultimately did. And I wasn't that uh, interested in the characters that it was presenting. Uh, I'm curious to revisit this one mainly because I agree with you. I just been so used to all the brooding performances we've been getting on the big screen <laughs> and everything that I was just like, Oh, we got another brooding one. Um, yep. But yeah, I, I see you there. It's uh, one that I felt the, um, the story isn't so much having you, be in his place as much as it is having you be in his mindset, uh, which a lot of these right. movies end up doing. But if you're curious in that one, it is in us all. I was able to pick up some awards at the fest. Dude, yeah. this was a movie right here. This went last one to wrapping up the list that we had over here for the narrative. A lot of people driving with this. Bro, it is a movie done all in one take, meant to be looked in one take. It, it's like a girl's night out adventure. They're they're Nazis though. Uh, this is a, a a group of uh, I guess white supremacists. Uh, they call themselves the Aryan group. There's a lot of filmmaking techniques that are very interesting in here. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. mind movies going out of the box. I don't care if I don't agree with the characters or not. It was a little too much for me, man. And I know that that may be something you're not supposed to say about a movie like this, but I did not get it. It is made by a, mm. a, a I believe a, a mixed filmmaker an asian filmmaker and her whole point was to kind of put you in the place of people who live in america and have these group meetings not for me man i don't know but a lot of people are liking it i'm never one to take away from people who are jiving with right. it sure i just it was aggravating which i guess is what she wanted but i did not want to sit through it and i am one who respects long takes but if you're just doing a long take and i can't see what's happening then maybe cut yeah. Soft and quiet. <laughs> I saw that this was programmed back to back with emergency, which some people thought was a an interesting programming decision, we'll say, on South by Southwest's part. Hey, some people like it. I'll revisit it when I can. Just not for me is all I'll say. It's all I could throw into yeah. it. Uh, 
Uh, a couple of the other ones, just to put them on your radar, we did not get links for these, but seriously, read about a Dali impersonator. There was also this thriller, I'm assuming, A Lot of Nothing, where uh, one suburban family, that, a couple of suburban families are scoping out one specific uh, house, and then Slashback, which is supposed to be this film where I guess a group of girls are dealing with aliens. But in dealing with aliens, they have to use their all their movie knowledge to kind of figure out uh, how to handle them. Uh, so those would be all of the wrap-ups for the narrative competition. Definitely put L- Linoleum, cool. I Love My Dad, and what a performance from Nika, dude. What a performance. Uh, moving on to the Midnighters. We have yeah. uh, a lot of their horror stuff because it is a big comedy festival, but... Hey, Texas is also really good with their horrors. We have a couple that played at Sundance to just give it a, a big shout out. I still think my favorite might be Watcher. I, I really enjoyed hmm. this movie. We talked more at South by. If you liked it, follows. <laughs> Follow this one when it comes out in theaters. We've <laughs> got Micah. But yeah. we talked about this uh, in our weekend must watch. Zach X. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd take X over Watcher in the Midnighters Fair. category because this was a, a pretty uh, dastardly film from Ty West. And, you know, I've, I do think there is sort of an – there is a feeling that maybe he didn't get as nasty as he could have with this movie. Really? It, it doesn't like – I mean, it doesn't like revel in the nudity or in the blood. It, it comes at them very carefully and patient exactly like I think he's doing it this is a very finely crafted movie he's a guy who knows how to build tension and play with your emotions I I found this to be perhaps the most affecting horror film I've seen this year I thought it was really good. Stay for the credits. It seems that A24 is allowing him to build this even further. This was one of the ones you could only see there. But it has his release out. This is out in theaters. Give it a watch. Uh, I'm very curious to see where he builds it up. And it was so dope to see Kid Cudi, bro. I couldn't... uh, Alina was telling me, Kid Cudi's walking down. I was like, where is he? And then I smelled him before I saw him first. I was like, there is Cudi. (laughs) (laughs) He had these crazy boots that he had on, too. But I I can't wait to make a full LB on this. Uh, I also recommend it. Watch it with a group. Yeah, Cuddy just announced he's he's going to be doing his uh, first feature. He's directing. Oh, we'll talk about that later. Well, I did not know that. All right, let's do it. He also got yeah. a really good doc, his uh, Man on the Moon doc that he has on Prime. Highly recommend that one as well. Yeah, he, he's been doing a lot of acting. Uh, one that maybe it's better to watch at home. Uh, Zach, I want you to talk about more about this one because my experience for this was watching it, waiting in between movies, on my phone, and considering that this is a found footage horror movie that is being live-streamed to viewers who would be watching it on their phones or computers. I had a very surreal uh, kind of experience Mm -hmm. with this, but I want to catch it again because the amount of detail that's put into the live streams chat that you see throughout, uh, I thought was really cool. I'm a big found footage person. You got to see this, I think, twice? Yeah, well, I, I, that's one of the cool things about when you do have a virtual festival is I, I watched it and uh, Caitlin was asleep when I was watching it, but I figured she would enjoy it because she, she's into this kind of horror thing. So we, we ran it back and yeah, it, it was delightful both times. Uh, my biggest al- or biggest point of comparison, I would say, for Deadstream is another movie we've talked about plenty on Intercut, uh, Spree, the one starring Joe mm. Keery, where he plays like sort of an Uber driver who live streams his... Uh, his rides and then he goes on a killing spree. Uh, this one is sort of a different flip on that in that it, it stars this guy who's like known for prank videos and stuff like that, deciding to stream his night inside of a haunted house. Um, and yes, I think sir. it does a really cool job of playing with 
familiar elements of the live stream format and interacting with the chat. And, you know, uh, I think this movie does a couple cool things where his story will change based on information he's being fed from his chat, which is a Yo. very fun way to do your exposition. That's so cool. Um, but, it also, but it also allows them to do a lot of really clever filmmaking things in terms of the pacing of things. Uh, there's a really interesting technique uh, they do where he puts motion sensitive, sensitive cameras around the house and the way that it plays into the editing of the film I think is one of those subtly extremely effective methods of building suspense and tension um, I think maybe it gets a little bit too cute in terms of its self-acknowledgement of being kind of like an internet-driven movie. It doesn't need to. It doesn't need to hit every reference point on like what this. These are things that YouTubers will say, but I think it's still really fun and really effective. I was. I. I felt uh, genuinely like uh, surprised at different moments of horror and even the. Uh, horror elements, the design of the monsters and stuff. Yes. felt pretty really cool. unique. No, that was yeah. one of the best parts of it. Yeah, I appreciated that. Because considering the way that it shot, they could have skimped on it and they did it. it. It seems like there was a lot of detail in there and that's why yeah. I want to see it again in a bigger screen. I should screen. say ghost, not monsters. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, overall, uh, I thought it was really cool to see another found footage movie. Big fan of the genre. And it was really cool that they're a duo. Uh, he's yeah. in it. They both wrote and directed it together. So shout out to that. Always a big fan of seeing that. Uh, to wrap up these last two, uh, we also had another movie that dealt with influencers taking it to the next level in a horror element with Sissy, a movie mm. about two friends who are catching up together after a long time of not being together, but she's become an influencer, an influencer who pushes mental health. Mental health, but may not be verified, doesn't have a certificate, and there's a whole thing that happens as they have this kind of, like, getaway um, with s her nickname being Sissy, uh, but reuniting with her friend because she's black, her friend's white, she's now getting married, and she's staying with her whole group of friends, and it becomes this kind of really crazy night. Um, I thought it was a pretty entertaining movie to watch. It gets pretty bloody. It gets pretty gory. Uh, this would have been really cool to see in a theater because when we were catching it at our hotel, the Wi-Fi needed to be a little bit better. So that that's another thing just to note there when it comes to virtual festivals. Uh, you want to make sure you have a good Wi-Fi when it comes to it. But I, I, I'm <laughs> yeah. looking forward to catching this one again because the colors in this are fantastic. It is drenched in these really good purples and reds. And like we were just talking with the other one, it really takes that social media angle of like, what's your responsibility as an influencer, as someone who's trying to push these things. But then at the same time, when you're running a business, how crazy do you go into that side of it? Another one that deals with childhood trauma and memory, a theme you're going to be seeing throughout a lot of this, um, a lot of these picks. Uh, to wrap up, I'm sorry, we got a bad movie here, Zach. I'm sorry. <laughs> the Cellar uh. is so bad. It's kind of good. <laughs> Zach, oh. when you watch this movie, they try to scare you with numbers. <laughs> numbers, Zach. There is a scene, because we caught I this mean, online, we had to replay it because we could not believe what they were doing. We're talking like... I mean, are we, talking like are we talking like 14 or are we talking like 35? I don't, I don't know what that means. We're talking like 23. <laughs> what no, what numbers? <laughs> I, I don't want to spoil it because I guess that kind of gets into the idea. There's a review okay, okay, that okay. I don't want to scroll down that made me laugh so right. much about what it's kind of getting at. I, I'll keep it vague for this. I don't like to be little movies, but I'm trying to pitch it the best way possible. 
it's so funny. They do this moment where it's kind of if you remember the that last Star Wars movie where she where Ray walks and kind of just like magically puts the compass where it needs to be. They have a moment like that in this movie and they try to play it so seriously and it's so funny. The Cellar. It should be out on VOD. Hopefully it gets a little shutter release. If April it's on 15th. Radar. April 15th. There you go. Uh, a couple of movies to wrap up over here in the horror where we were really looking forward to Bitch Ass just off of the name alone. That yeah. I, I didn't even know Tony Todd was in it because he's not even there in the cast. Uh, they told me he was narrating it. This is on my radar. It, it looks to... Be nothing too profound, but nonetheless, I, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, no Looking Back was a movie that is from Russia, and they had no virtual screenings, uh, and I was not going to be able to make it to a screening there, so we didn't get to see this one. Seems to be kind of fun, I guess. And this one, I was actually kind of sad that I missed Hypochondriac. It ended up expiring, so we did not uh, get to see it about a young Latin film, not a filmmaker, but I think he's just a, a guy who's like, Dealing with hypochondriac feelings, it may all be in his mind, it may not be. I heard it was a really good paranoid thriller, mm. as you can see there. Uh, very divided between some people who connected, some people who didn't. So I am I like yeah. movies, especially horror movies that kind of have a split. So I'm looking forward to that one right there. Uh, but that kind of wraps up all the ones that we have there. Um, I don't know if you were getting any stuff from the chat as well. Uh, about any picks that they may have. I know some people said that they saw us in line. Yo, if you ever see me in line in a movie theater, if you ever see me in line at a film festival, any of that stuff, say hi. Uh, always looking forward to talking to people uh, from different film festivals because I also like getting picks. Some of these movies weren't on my radar until I talked to some people uh, and then I was able to catch them. So, yeah. uh, movie. Say hi, but also be cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Zach. Yes, that too. <laughs> Um, moving on to the narrative spotlight. So I boot this back up over here. The narrative spotlight is interesting because unlike um, Sundance, their spotlight is movies that are played at other festivals. Right. For South by, they're like, no, those are our festival favorites. Our spotlight should be should, should be for little tiny movies. So let's go through these uh, pretty quickly because <laughs> I think even the best one I thought was a pretty good, decent rental. Really looking okay. forward to catching Rita Moreno for the prank, bro. Everybody was right. there. Keith, David, uh, Meredith from The Office. No, Rita. <laughs> and this is her movie. She's EP. Oh. It's a decent movie. They were trying to pitch this as a like hybrid film. It's a, it's, a, it's a comedy thriller. Pretty much you have this teacher who's so strict that when it comes to a missing student, they try to pin it on her. I'll leave it there. I wish that it was hmm. edited a little bit more uh, sparsely because there are some jokes with a couple of extra seconds would have hit better. There are some banters that, that some people have where I felt they could have stayed on them a little bit more. Uh, right. But the director did do a previous South by movie called Golden Arm, which I thought was pretty decently funny. So if you're a fan of this one, put the uh, put this one on your radar as well. Nice little comedy cool. thriller. Cool to see Rita go... Uh, go very menacing for this movie i'll say that um then we had pretty problems this was a movie that i'm not sure if you were able to catch or not where uh you have a person who works at a store befriending a very rich person they go on a retreat and it's her trying to really befriend this rich person thinking she might get more out of them maybe not realizing that the rich people are kind of i don't know using them as entertainment uh a lot of funny jokes uh a lot of banter between the characters especially as they're you know drinking wine and doing all these crazy stuff decent little rented if you wanted a nice comedy uh pirates 
Yo, speaking of uh, saying hi to people, these boys, bro, they were at every screening that I was in. <laughs> they were in line. We were eating at the same restaurants. They were just chilling. <laughs> and this movie is that. It's three dudes who are trying to make it to a concert right at New Year's Eve. It takes place in 1999. And a majority of the movie, the best part of the movie, is just seeing dudes chill. They're in the car. They play a song. And they play the song, bro. They are just vibing. <laughs> if you've ever been into the YouTube scene of like music reaction videos where an album drops mm. and the boys just play it as they react to it for the first time, that's that's the vibe this movie gives off. Obviously, they have their <laughs> own little adventures, trying to impress a girl, trying to make it in time to... Um, uh, the events, but Pirates, this is one that uh, Alina was watching thoroughly, and I would just see it, and I'm like, yo, they vibing again? So I can't wait to catch this one fully. I was catching another movie, which was also in the competition, Me, Little Me. Uh, this is what I like to see in Spotlight. This is a movie that is very personal to the director, pretty much, again, I, I apologize for not having a an image here, but I can't be PR. Uh, me, Little Me <laughs> is a nice little film in where you're following um, a an, uh, a woman who has a, uh, I don't want to call it, she has a history, she has a condition, I guess, and with that, she's struggling to make it in the workplace where they're completely set on like having the dudes uh, always pitch the ideas. But then when she goes back home, she's also feeling that there's a lot of family trauma, so she can't fit in there as well. So it's a nice little character study um, that I knew the, the director was holding close to her heart. I wish I had an mm. image to show you, but still a nice little drama there. Uh, cool. To Leslie, a movie that has a fantastic performance by the always great Andrea Rosaburo. But the first half is just yelling. Uh, we, had, we we kept playing with the volume at the hotel because we felt someone was going to come knock. Look, it, it's her playing this mother who ends up winning the jackpot just to waste it all. Oh, man. And it's her trying to like recuperate with the town that kind of has thrown her to the side. Always a great performance by her. The second half of the movie, when Mark Marin comes in and tries to like help her out, uh, completely changes it into a, a separate movie as opposed to the first half where she's trying to get back together with her son. Really good performance from her. The movie's just okay, in my opinion. It gets very, mm. um, I don't want to call it melodramatic, but it really wallows sometimes in the, oh, oh I man. threw it all away element of it. But I love Andrea. Always looking out for another performance from her. Stay the Night. A lot of people were calling this the before, a before series. It reminds me <laughs> a lot of one of the Sundance flicks that we saw as well. Um, bit more of a, I'm trying to think of the director. The guy who did Easy, kind of like just chilling, uh, like a Joe Swanberg type. Oh, yeah. With this movie. Yeah. You pretty much have two people who end up meeting each other and end up uh, spending a little bit of time together. Um and then taking that one night stand and uh, just learning from each other. It's it's a that type of movie, just a before sunrise type of film where uh, two cool. individuals get to discuss each other. And I believe it took place in Toronto, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so shout out to Canada. Would would you prefer this or another South by Southwest alum that's got like clear before sunrise inspiration? Uh, Shit house. Shit house. Yeah. Yeah, just a little bit. It's not bad. It's not bad, but. Uh, it's, it's just that you're, you're decent, like, two characters getting to know each other and then yeah. uh, with a really cute little ending. Um, cool. But I did not get to see this one. I saw a short dealing right. with a cow, but I did not get to see the feature <laughs> dealing with a cow, Zach. People have been hyping this up as having a crazy twist, but also maybe yeah. not delivering. 
Tell me. Yeah, um, this is the Winona Ryder starring thriller called The Cow. Uh, you got some interesting uh, members in the cast, too. I like John Gallagher Jr. here. Dermot Mulroney also shows up. Uh, it's kind of trying to do sort of like a, a non-linear thriller thing where you see some things happen and then it flashes back and it changes your perception of all the things that you saw in the previous scene. And um, I like those. In a way, yeah, like it's kind of a cool structure, but I felt like there just wasn't enough there there in terms of like what the twists were or making them make sense in terms of how the characters acted. It was just a little bit like, I don't know, uh, slow moving and felt like it forecasted its turns a little bit too much to be exciting and surprising. Um, okay. I don't know. It was maybe just missing a little bit something to really be like a satisfying thriller. It was okay. Uh, it's kind of like a stream it uh, maybe, but uh, not not something I would go out of my way for. Kind of felt the same for this next one, wrapping up the list of what we saw in this. Yeah. Spinning around. Unfortunately. Tell me. So am I wrong? Was that motorcycle shot just not in the movie? So this was the big debate. One, yes. let's get this out of the way. If you're the stars of the movie, please show up to the premiere. <laughs> two. Especially at South By. Especially at South By. If, two, if you're going to show something like this and that be the still, and then we never get to see y'all on the scooter, everyone kept talking about that. So then when y'all saw it, I said, did y'all catch the scooter? You said that maybe it might have been in the background. I can confirm. Release the scooter cut. There is no scooter. When they're wearing yeah. that clothes, there is no scooter. Uh, this is a movie about like an Olive Garden type change <laughs> where uh, right. Brie gets to get sent over to Italy and then she gets to meet yeah. this really rich guy who runs it but ends up befriending and having a relationship with Arby Plaza. They're always cute. Mm-hmm. The, the movie's it, fine. Yeah, the thing is, like, it has this sort of like interesting setup for a potentially like uh, you're spinning down the rabbit hole or like you uncovered some big conspiracy type of movie and it like makes allusions to trying to be ki- kind of like that. And I feel like ultimately the point of the movie is that like things don't always appear what they are and like part of the part of the whole point of the movie is like being underwhelmed but in effect that makes you as a viewer feel underwhelmed i thought this whole thing was pretty pointless there's scenes in it that i thought were really fun like i will just watch aubrey plaza taking allison brie out on the on the town in italy anytime that's fine but like but like to what point like what what where are we going uh-huh. What are we doing here? I mean, at some points, you're right. They take you somewhere else, and they're like, could this be something? Well, it's this, and uh, that's it. That's all it is. And I'm like, okay. Uh, again, this is one where I could see it being on Hulu. I could see this being on Netflix. Just yep. something that you could put on the background and uh, just, you know, kick back and just enjoy them. Not even riding around in the scooter, but hopefully they release <laughs> that cut by then. To wrap up some of the other ones that we did not get links for would be Millie Lies Low. This one looked pretty interesting to me. It's supposed to be a woman having a panic attack, I think, in New York, and you're kind of like mm. following her. I heard some good things about this one. Uh, and Lover Beloved, an interesting little movie about like a one-man show type thing, or one-woman show, uh, as she's kind of going back through her history. I-, I don't know too much of her, but I know that some people who are fans of her thought it was shot pretty well, so... Those are the movies from the Narrative Spotlight competition. As I was saying, Festival Favorites is a little bit of a different thing. I'll go through some of the ones that we just yep. saw at, at uh, Sundance that were able to be played here. Love, Fire of Love. Check that one yes. out. Yes. We Amazing. loved Descendants. Definitely check that one Fantastic. out. Fantastic. And Aftershock. It had probably like Oof. all of us 
practically damn near tears. All of these, I mm-hmm. believe, have been picked up. Definitely put those on your radar. Obviously, Emergency, Master, which is out now, we're also playing there. But we got to catch uh, two new ones from here that also played at other festivals. I'll start really quickly with this one, 32 Sounds Played at Sundance. This is a very interesting movie because what it is is it, they ask you right from the start, put headphones on, and they're taking you through the experience of sound. Really cool movie. Um, So if you're interested in like the invention of sound and what sound does Mm. to people and and where we can take sound and what sound represents to people even in the afterlife, put it on your radar and get some really good headphones. But I told Zach I had this movie at the bottom of my list. It did not intrigue me at all. I didn't see the point of it. Catch it. And I go, Zach, you need to catch this immediately. Mm -hmm. He did. And I think we both love this the same. A documentary called The Art of Making It. Absolutely. Yeah, a really interesting documentary that takes a look at the modern world of fine art. And it does it in a pretty compelling way by both giving you a bit of an overview and a bit of an explainer in terms of how the world is built, what are the obstacles that prevent certain things from rising to Mm. the top, but then also takes its time to profile different individuals within the art community and show you their personal stories and how perhaps like the, the paths that have been blocked for them are depriving us as people who are interested in art of really powerful, meaningful art, right? And I I think it's a really cool look at all the different ways in which the fine art world might not be serving us the best fine art being made right now and why that is too. Um, I'm sure there are... I'm sure there are people who maybe know this world better who will be like, oh, they're not saying this or that. But like as someone who's not necessarily like a a frequent museum or exhibit goer or or can name you like my favorite modern painters, like this was a fascinating journey into that world. And it's the kind of movie that if you're just a fan of art in general, fine art or not. I think there are things that you will take away from it in terms of how you how you think about art. I agree with you. Just, you know, it talks not just about the business and the politics, but I love Mm -hmm. a movie that's not scared to show you the making of the art. And uh, that one dude who talked about how uh, they were kind of belittling him to a degree because they thought what he was doing was so profound. They were almost kind of scared of it. And being able to see his process, this man right here, I want to go see his exhibitions, man. The way that he described having to just redo the entire wall to showcase what he had so ahead of its time. And yeah, it's one of those movies that lets you know sometimes someone has an idea, but the big ups, they're mad they didn't get to it first. Uh, there's so much to this movie. I can't wait to rewatch this one. I'm hoping the link is still uh, available for us because this is one that uh, there's a lot in there. And I agree with you. I- I'm not too big into the art world, but I don't think business changes from place to place as much. And I think that that's still something that uh, a-, a lot of outlets still have to deal with. Some of the other ones that also played here was Boycott. Uh, we This one also I think we had as a part of a link, but it expired. Looking at boycotts, uh, documenting um, some activists. And then there was this movie. I was seated for it. I was this close to Jenny Slate. I told Zach. Had to, had to leave to go see another movie. Um, uh. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. For those of you who never caught this on YouTube, it's on the big screen now. A whole feature. Yeah. It's going to be playing in Chicago, so I will be getting a review for this very soon. Mm. But it's just so interesting to me that this opened at Tribeca was supposedly really good at South by. I can't wait to watch it. It's just, it's stop motion. For those of you who don't know, uh, it started off as YouTube. Jenny Slate voices a a, a snail, right? With shoes. And it's also, 
It's also with, I think her ex-husband is the guy who wrote and directed it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, uh, this is on my radar. If y'all have seen it, hype it up for me because I can't wait to catch you sure you're, You sure you didn't want to pull the YMS and just catch half of it? No, I wanted to catch the whole thing. <laughs> I want to catch some of it at least, but it's playing at Chicago. I'll, I'll look forward yeah. to it. Documentary feature competition. We got eight All from right. here. One of the best documentaries I've seen, bro. Really? One of the best documentaries I've seen. Yeah, tell me about this one. I thought this was the making of, like, the Pez people. No, the it's Pez the, outlaw. It's the guy who screwed over the Pez corporation. Ooh. And how they tried to get him, but they couldn't play his game. I don't want to tell you any more of this. I Please let me have a still here, bro. This won an award in where the guy who's telling you the entire story, which is not just the story of this little guy. Uh, the way that he pitches himself is, do you remember when... Uh, uh, we were just talking about cereal. When the cereal box right. tells you uh, only one per household for like submissions, he <laughs> right. goes, that's because of me. This man was collecting <laughs> everything possible. And it wa- it's once he found the Pez uh, collectibles that he took it to a whole uh, other level. It's hmm. also a very emotional story about him and his wife, uh, uh, just about him and his upbringing. But just the corporate side and international stuff that happened with these imports. Insane. Um, Pez Outlaw, if this isn't on your radar, please put it on your radar because the way that they do these reenactments also won them a special jury award for an actor in a documentary. I've been seeing several documentaries that give writing credits, several documentaries that do have these <laughs> actors in it. This knocked it out of the park. I absolutely loved the Pez Outlaw. Put it on your radar. Top doc for me, bro. Top doc. Awesome. Another one that I think I enjoyed a little bit more than you, uh, he is a character, is yeah. the dude who is behind some of the craziest VFX in history, from Terminator to Jurassic Park. Uh, it This is a movie where you realize that the dudes who go up to accept the awards, yeah, the reason they're rushing up there and the reason that they're hogging the mic is because they had nothing to do with it. There is an entire mm-hmm. team, there is an, uh, a bunch of innovators who actually came up, not just with the VFX elements, Bro, with VFX, this is a dude who's also having to fight with people who want to keep things practically and don't want to think outside of the box. And yeah. um, there is that whole side of his personal story and the stuff that he goes through. There is the politics of the business. I just loved seeing the creative side of it, how they were taking these chances and and animating water. I found all of that stuff fascinating. He is a character, though. He yeah. is well, someone who hates the we establishment. Yeah, we, we should say it, it's following uh, Steve Spaz Williams. The documentary is called Spaz, Spaz. Uh, who who did a lot of the digital dinosaur work on the first Jurassic Park movie. Uh, so, you know, an, an incredible digital innovator. Uh, but that he also then began to sort of preach against the use of these digital animations in film. Right. Just makes him such an interesting character. It's fascinating. Yeah. Because he was calling out, he like he didn't just guess mocap. He's guessing stuff that you and I have been talking about with that Jet Li stuff, where they're going to copy actors. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting seeing people come up to him and be like, I am a lawyer for these deceased actors, and you will not use them. And he's yep. like, bro, look, I know I took the practical people's job. Someone will take my job. I'm just, I'm just telling you right. that the world moves forward, and this is what's going to happen. Very, I found it very intriguing. Uh, my second favorite doc out of this competition right here. But one that you and I... Both really like that. I think you like Vivi even more than I do. Yeah. 
bad ex. I, I think I might have. Yeah. Uh, I think this is a really fascinating documentary. Uh, it's a real-time portrait of an Asian American family running a Cambodian restaurant in uh, a town in Michigan called Bad Axe, which is a bit rural and a bit more conservative leaning. So, and 2020 obviously was this tumultuous time, not just because of uh, COVID becoming a thing and forcing places into lockdown, particularly places like restaurants that really struggled to get by through the pandemic, but it. It, it inflamed all these different tensions, whether they're like racial tensions or political tensions leading up to the 2020 election. And I think it was just such a volatile time, personally, mixed with being such a bizarre moment in history where people were staying home and changing their routines and stuff like that. And what I loved about Bad Axe is that this documentary, more than any film I've seen yet, depicted what it felt like to live through that year, depicted the mix of personal conflict and outer conflict yes. that you have to balance just as like an American or human being, right? And the way in which it, it's both like you're trying to make sure your immediate bubble is okay, but also you are trying to be part of the larger collective, the world around, the community around you, the town around you, whatever it is, Um I thought this film got at that really fascinatingly. It also was centered on this really amazing family full of just very interesting to watch characters, people who have fascinating stories and just seeing their ups and downs I was really moved by it. You know, I don't like this documentary as much as one of my other favorites that I want to mention, but just in terms of the way that it balanced kind of being an effective film and being very personal, it, this kind of gave me some, uh, reminded me at least a little bit of Minding the Gap. Interesting. Okay. I mean, there is, uh, like you were saying, the idea that it's obviously very politically charged. Um, I think, you know, it's worth it because you said the way it encapsulates that time. But you also have a family who's like willing to serve people who mm. came in yeah. completely oh. the opposite of their beliefs. But the moment it changes, people can't grasp that. And, and you know, I've always been one where whether you agree with somebody or not, um, politics aren't just politics when you don't agree with it. Like, people are very political, but they don't see it as politics because, it's to them, it's truth. And it's very, I think it does a very in, uh, interesting look at that, that people don't realize they're being political by wearing something. But the moment someone wears something else, then it's political. But the best part of the movie is that relationship. Every mm. scene with the, with the dad and the daughter, with what the daughter's going through, but then where the dad came from, as you can read it right there, he, him coming from the Cambodian fields and then having to deal with right. what was happening in 2020. Ah, uh, yeah. It's directed, filmed by their son, David. I, yeah, this this one was not on the top of my radar, and I could say it stood out to me a lot. Bad Axe, put that on your radar as well. I think even with the yeah. rewatch, when I was discussing it, I know I have spaz somewhere a little at a three and a half. I might put it up even more, but, uh, but yeah, Pez Outlaw, Spaz, Bad Axe, a really good run of, of docs that we had here. Um, we have a couple more that didn't stand out as much clean very intriguing yeah. premise very intriguing premise i will say that whoever wrote this description does not seem to know what fly on the wall means because there's many interviews 
in this documentary. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that, do- that doesn't mean it's bad. That just means it's not fly on the wall. Uh, it's a really fascinating subject of the- this woman who runs this business that uh, does these trauma cleanings. So they're going to bloody crime scenes or they're going to houses where somebody uh, was recently deceased and has left behind like a hoarding mess or something like that. And, and they're helping the various families or whatever to, uh, get the houses back to, you know, livable shape or working shape. Yeah. Uh, just imagining how much trauma they're taking away from people who would otherwise be burdened to clean up those things themselves. Um, so the way in which the film talks about some of those uh, situations is really fascinating. It also then becomes a bit of a portrait of this woman who uh, founded the clean, cleaning company. Mm-hmm. And I think, in, in it's trying to have it both ways, I think it almost is a little bit of a, a disservice to both, right? We don't get the full story of either. Yeah, and it is one of those, uh, and there's various elements of this where they try to pull the, but you didn't know who I was before type things. There's, right. there's Yeah, where you're, you're trying to cover something, but in trying to cover something, it almost feels like you're doing it as a uh, twist. Uh, I don't know. I think it would be interesting to look back at a lot of these movies that have labels and to see how they were handled um, 10 years down the line. But it's still a very fascinating look. I mean, it's a very interesting premise to see, you know, a group of people who are dealing with the cleanup crew of these disastrous events. So clean. Put it on your radar if you're interested in it. Uh, And the last one from this group that I was able to catch was Mama Bears. Uh, This is a movie that was really riding on right now the uh, laws that are passing over in Texas, but they were not giving out screening links, so a really good job sending out the message there, but it is about the mamas who have LGBTQ kids, uh, family members, whatever it is, and doing their best against the church. A church that that doesn't want to accept them, but that they don't want to leave because it's everything they know. There is one story here uh, from a black woman who really gives her perspective of what she was going through being older and having relationships and then going to Bible study with that same woman uh, while hiding it from everyone. Her story, absolutely fantastic. The rest of it, sometimes you're, you're like frustrated with like, just leave them. There's a certain point where they're just not going to accept <laughs> you. You can create something new out of that. But, right. Um, yeah, it's a very intimate portrayal uh, of these mama bears. And look, I'm always a sucker. I'm a mama's boy. I'm always a sucker for a mom <laughs> looking out for their child. Uh, to wrap up some of the other ones in this bit, we had the doc, It's Quieter in the Twilight. It's about space, but I love how they say it's about the unremarkable people in the office space who are doing stuff. <laughs> they had people giving out stickers uh, to go see this movie. Uh, I had it on my radar, but they didn't have people responding to the emails, so we did not get to yeah. see that. Master of Light is one that I had booked up. It expired on me. That sucks because this won a big award. This is a movie about a painter who after a decade in prison comes out and the way he paints the people around him his family members his community makes him reflect on everything leading up to the point where he was at it won the big award i think it may have picked up an audience one if y'all are watching or anybody saw it hype it up for me also send a link if y'all can uh master of light and the last one was the thief collector this one was actually one where i saw a part of it so I'm not logging it. I saw part of it. <laughs> but the editor said that there is something crazy that happens in the third act. So I don't want to judge it quite yet. But compared to the the Pez, the Pez Outlaw, it tries to do that right. similar thing where it's like doing reenactments of the actors. Hmm. Yeah, Pez Outlaw. Nah. It. it just it made me like Pez <laughs> Outlaw even more. But The Thief Collector, okay. if you caught this one, let me know. And if uh, you're running the movie, send us a link. Uh, but out of these docs... 
Please watch The Pez Outlaw. Please watch Spaz. And definitely, definitely put Bad X on your radar. All right, Absolutely. we've got four more categories left, Zach. Uh, we got a couple docs. There's 19 in this documentary spotlight, so we'll, we'll try to go as fast as we can here. Yeah. Um, here, let me delete some of these over here before everything starts glitching. Uh, there is a doc, the first one that I'm going to mention here, still going from the top to bottom, where when we were doing our wrap-up, I had discussed uh, this movie and how I felt, oh, it's just going to be one of those other political docs. Oh, it's just mm-hmm. going to be one of those things that's you know just trying to... Um, bank off, I don't know, be, being a politician and, and having a campaign. Yeah, and maybe more of a, like a promotional tool than something that actually gives you an interesting documentary. I think only two movies brought me to tears. This was one of them. Uh, it's wow. Gabby Gifford's story about uh, not just being a politician, but also going through a traumatic event and mm-hmm. everything that spirals after that. Uh you can go read it for yourself. I don't want to say much. Uh, this is one of those where it does do what I just say, where it's like this. She had everything going and everything. And then be very solemn note of where she is now. I showed it to right. Alina. This is the one I saw twice uh, at the fest. I should have known, bro. It's, <laughs> it's the directors. They've never made a doc I've never not liked. They're really good at what they do. I should have never doubted them. This floored me. Now, look. It does wow. get very political at times. There are points where I'm like, ah, you're, you're already saying a lot by not having to say it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. You're already saying a lot by yeah, showing her you story, how she reacts to things. You don't need to sit down. You're, and, you're, doing, you're doing better showing than telling. Yeah. And, and there are moments where it just feels like a, it's not as bad as some of the other ones we're going to talk, but I just felt like you already got it across. There are some words where while I know that those words are what you want them to be, that phrasing is for a group of people who already believe in you. <laughs> Get the people who don't. And you had a story right. with her that really does do it for 90% of the movie. 10% of it, they do stop to talk policy. And yes, it's important, but it's not as crucial and not as effective as when you're actually following her. Floored me, bro. Um, floored me. Very good. Oh, it's so good. It's, it's oh, really good. Man. It's really good. What, it, what a person, bro. What a what an individual. Oh yeah, and him too. Uh, read up on her. Right. Read up on her. Moving on to some other docs over here. We got uh, a slew right here that I thought were really good. And then we'll get to some that were decent, some that we didn't get to catch. Keeping the train moving. We have a movie called Nothing Lasts Forever. People kept typing this. This is trying to put uncut gems out of business. It's talking about the diamond Ooh. industry and how much of your diamonds are real diamonds? Do they compare if you can't tell the difference between the fake ones to the real ones? Is it real only because it's been, manu- it's been you know, pressed in the earth for so long? Is that what true love is? Or is that just a story they've always combined in order to sell you the diamond? But you have diamonds that are now being manufactured even to more perfection in lamps. The worst part is that it turns out maybe the diamonds have even been combined. And when you go buy a real one, you don't even know if it's a fake one. The, the ins and outs of... The industry trying to build you a story, I found very fascinating, and I think it goes hand in hand with, I'm just going to cut forward here, Diamond Hands. I saw these two back to back, and just that idea of how with diamonds, you choose, they choose how much the diamond is supposed to cost. With Diamond Hands, another movie, also kind of dealing with diamonds, is uh, not necessarily, but with the stocks of the GameStop uh, scenario that happened in... 2000, right? Like, or 2020, it wasn't even that long ago. 
You have had a slew of documentaries that have been covering uh, what happened with that GameStop bit with Robinhood. This one is intriguing to me because they sat down with a lot of people who were the initial ones, not just to invest, who started the whole subreddit. So nice. I don't know what the release for this is going to be, but I would definitely put it on your radar. I think it does a good job of catching you up. I know everyone's making one. Netflix has yeah. their Centennial. This is in the lead so far. Yeah, this so far is, I think, one of the better ones. I know uh, one, the Culkin, he's got, uh, he narrates one for HBO. This so far has been one of the best one. Diamond Hands, if you want to know more about the Wall Street bets. Nothing lasts forever. Watch it before you uh, get engaged. Some of the other ones that are here is Kids in the Hall Comedy Punks. I know yeah. of these guys. I didn't know of these guys. This is mm-hmm. this is this was a fascinating doc to see how comedy and especially improv doesn't always come from the best places. Um, I really like this one. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating look at the trajectory of the kids in the hall. And, you know, it's it's a documentary that's giving you kind of like the complete career arc uh, from how they met and how they formed and kind of why they were able to rise up to what ultimately kind of broke them apart, even though they've, you know, since been able to reunite. Uh, so if you are like a diehard kids in the hall fan, maybe you know a lot of this stuff, but I think it's uh packaged in a really entertaining fa- uh, fast style that gives you clips from all the relevant people you know they've inter- have interviews with all the kids in the hall for this as well as like a lot of stuff from Beautiful. Lauren Michaels like yeah i think i've seen Lauren Michaels show up in some documentaries before but uh-huh. usually it's like for just a, a quick one two uh, yeah. quotes here and there he's almost they like the him. sixth talking head so it, yeah, i think you get cool. a lot of it's a lot of really fascinating insight into like why these guys became who they were and why they became so such like cult icons in a way too. Mm-hmm. Definitely put this one on your radar. Um, I was always a big uh, the whitest kids you know, and I always felt like these would have been the forefathers to them. Uh, so I found this one to be very fascinating, especially with uh, how they approached comedy. Um, yeah. A couple of the docs over here. What we leave behind. You know how sometimes you watch a doc and it's not for you. You're like, that's not my experience. It's about a woman whose grandpa could no longer travel from Mexico to see them in the United States. So she decides to go spend time with her grandpa. He's building a house to leave something behind to them. And it is paced just like talking to one of my tios in Mexico. And it takes place in Durango. (laughs) When I tell you this is so up my alley that it just hit, it is so slow. Bro, I felt like I don't know. Like this one did it, this would have been the second one. <laughs> that almost is, is got this me. Is this a uh, a Frankie or whatever? I uh, no, I'm not calling it the Frankie. I, this is because it's a documentary that's uh, seeing kind of like how the grandpa and everybody started leaving Mexico to come to the United States, and it's like what was left behind. And Alina and I always discuss this about if you're not going back to your little pueblo, then who's going to who's gonna go back? If you're not bringing your kids, you know, what gets left behind from that aspect? Uh, I think one of the top reviews is fair. It's not a poorly made doc. It just wasn't for me. I can't recommend this to everybody. But if this connects to you in any way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. it's going to connect to you very deeply. Um, wow. Yeah. No, I really enjoyed this doc. I know this also won an award in terms of documentary filmmaking and how intimate it was, and especially with her being a Texas filmmaker. Uh, kind of like what I said with Coco, where they got the colors down right for the just the garages and the corrals and everything. They're literally there. They're spending time there. And I loved the pace that it took um, and just the way that she was able to look back at her grandpa's life. What we leave awesome. behind. 
Crows are white is a very <laughs> interesting doc. Yeah. On the one hand, it is one of the most obnoxious guys going like, what am I to do with my life? And on the other hand, we also have those obnoxious types of questions and doubts and mm-hmm. everything. And this man decides to go to this monastery uh, to kind of see what answers he can be, what answers he can be given in life. And I kind of liked it. I, yeah, like I, there's a part of me that sees what he's doing and is like, okay, you're struggling to make your your own documentary, so you're you're inserting yourself into it a little bit to give yourself that narrative arc. And the funny thing is that people in his life actually call him out on this in the documentary, which maybe excuses it a little bit. But I think the 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 comparison he's drawing is fascinating enough and the stuff that he's including from his own life is fascinating enough that I found this to be a really compelling story of not just these these monks who he's choosing to try and learn life lessons from but this guy who is struggling to admit to certain things that will allow him to move forward in his own life agreed uh and the the way that they bring the title into play yeah. Very fascinating stuff. A very sneaky, funny documentary. I mean, it's, it's advertised as a it's comedy. It's a comedy, but... yeah. And that's what surprised me. I was like, how is this a comedy? And then I play it, and I'm like, yeah, it's kind of funny. The, monk, the monks are, are funny, and they don't even mean to be. Um, wrapping up what I would consider one of the uh, top half of this category, Shotting Down Midnight. Very interesting doc about uh, that literally all takes place about the filibuster. Women's rights all taking place in this uh, hall where she is reading... Every woman's letter about this law that was being passed. So it's not a filibuster where they're just reading random books or just talking and talking. It's a a very uh, deep movie in terms of like how you're able to bring every woman's perspective to this issue. Uh, Obviously, very political doc. But nonetheless, after watching it, going back to this poster, I think the poster is fire that's a dope <laughs> poster bro yeah um but again just to wrap up before we do our little countdown of the last ones here because there's so many that gabby gifford doc please put it on your radar if you're buying diamonds you gotta watch nothing lasts forever <laughs> if you're gonna invest you, in stocks, fan of comedy yeah oh you're you're skipping to diamond hands oh yeah i, I was skipping to diamond hands just to go with the nothing lasts forever but you're right if you're a fan of comedy and can see how dark it gets I mean, Kids in the <laughs> Hall really did that. Uh, if you are from, if you have anybody, I think, not just in Mexico, but any grandparent who came from somewhere else, definitely see that. And obviously, Shouting Down Midnight, which I just in there. I want to go really fast with these other ones because, again, there is a slew of them. But there yeah. was a still working 9 to 5. For those who don't know, working 9 to 5 was a movie, a nice comedy uh, that came from Jane Fonda. And she was able to cast Lily Tomlin and was able to cast Dolly Parton. I really like the movie. I really like the song that Dolly had. And in this, it's just a documentary looking back at it. I'm not going to say it's anything too special. It was cool to see it. Dolly, though, bro, she was out there. See if this loads. See yeah, if I have supporting. access to this. Um, she got herself a blockchain creative lab for the Dollyverse. <laughs> Dolly NFTs. She had two movies at South by The biggest thing she was dropping was NFTs, bro. I mean, I'm, I'm a big Dolly fan. Dolly can do no wrong to me. Um, right. So that's, again, that's why I'm like, damn, if she's the, dealing with NFTs, there's something there. They said Soderbergh was uh, dealing with NFTs. These are two people who, you know, these are two people mm-hmm. who I do value their opinions. So Dolly, yeah. I just am not paying. She has a price here. I'm, I don't even know if I can pull it up, bro. These, these, they were expensive, bro. They, 
she charged like two hundred dollars for these. I'm not. I'm not signing up. I'm sorry. Uh, I love you, darling. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll control copy download when I can. <laughs> we had a couple skate docs. Tony Hawk until the wheels fall off is going to be premiering yeah. on HBO. So if you were really big Tony Hawk fan, you could have soon in April. You yeah. could have seen him there. I know he just hurt his femur or something. Well, like he says in the doc, and like we just saw with uh, the GOAT quarterback, you don't just retire. Not until the balls deflate completely in his hands will Tom Brady leave, <laughs> and not until the wheels fall off will Tony Hawk leave. There's a lot in this documentary that is annoying. It's him wallowing in, oh, it's so crazy to be at the top. Oh, all these opportunities I've gotten. And him also just like reminding you, he has. you ever see someone make a documentary just to like kind of tell the people who who they have a problem with no it's not my daddy didn't let me win the awards when we were growing up i know he owned the park he reminds you that like five times in the movie and i'm like tony you gotta cut this off because the best parts (laughs) in this movie is seeing the physical endurance he puts himself through i know not everyone's going to agree with that stuff it's very whiplashy but this is a man who will literally practice until the wheels fall off it's a dude who right now that his body isn't the same as it used to be uh I think is also in the NFT space of filming all of his tricks to have them NFTified. Uh, I wanted it to go even deeper. It's a pretty long doc over two hours and it gets through a lot of elements of how he was getting up there, how he made a lot of his deals. But one, if it's on HBO, make it a miniseries. And two, if it's going to be your definitive doc, get even deeper into it. But I know he said uh, in the Q&A that this is more about his philosophy on life and how skateboarding is that one thing that he'll always find peace in and that without that um he's practically nothing i guess is what he said uh on the opposite side of that he had skate dreams which was about all the women in skating who practically say we don't have the same opportunities as tony hawk but if we did (laughs) we'd be able to do more uh i had just caught one of the oscar nominated shortlisted uh or nominated films the queen of basketball where she's also discussing how she could have been the best in her league but the league wasn't even created yet That reminded me a lot of this doc. But the thing that both of these have is that the queen of basketball omits a big part of her life being a coach and helping other people. They do cover how they're building skate parks for other girls. But there's still so much more. You know, like, this homie got a two-hour doc just on him. This is like a dozen skaters, you know, montaged into one. I don't remember what that doc was about the, uh, the female soccer players and i remember you telling me about how they were talking about that they didn't lfg have, yeah so it kind of reminded me of that it's just it's like they're barely making the doc saying hey we're out here too we now have cell phones to film but they're like the montages i i think y'all deserve to just skip that and give me that intimate portrayal of uh yeah give us a skate kitchen exactly <laughs> uh keeping it going a woman on the outside very fascinating look of someone who is helping people to go see their loved ones in prison because it's so far away. There is a perfect doc or doc short called video vision. I'm blanking on it. I feel, I feel bad. Um, very similar in helping people talk to the, their family members in Rikers through a video chat at a library. This is the woman who goes and picks them all up so that they can go see because it takes too long to get to, to the prison. And then it talks about her father leaving and everything that comes after the fact. Pretty good doc. Facing Nolan is practically uh, the stats that they give you in the form of a two-hour 
documentary. Uh, I know you caught this, but you were surprised that <laughs> 51 I MLB mean, stats is still 51 MLB stats, Zach. <laughs> yeah, but like they they end the documentary with like, look at all these amazing stats he did. And then they're like, most wild pitches. Number like, one, most wild I, pitches. Number one. I, I just don't know if I would lead with that one if I'm, I'm doing the Nolan Bryant <laughs> documentary. I also thought the narration in this was really hokey. It reminded me of the sports documentaries I used to watch on VHS when I was like a six-year-old. Um, it's I, that. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's not all a 30 right. for 30. It's literally, I mean, yeah. they're executive producers. It's the family practically yeah. doing it. So it's cool to look back at Nolan, one of the one of the greatest out there. But yeah, as a doc, it doesn't really stand out. But you know what's worse? A good doc that's malicious. Mickey, the story of the mouse, really gets into the archives of Mickey and Walt and everything that created this company and how he became this icon. But Zach, do you want to see a movie that talks about uh, Mickey did blackface? Okay, now on to the next subject. <laughs> oh, Mickey has this really song co- strong copyright that we almost shut down yeah. a daycare center because they had a Mickey Mouse thing. Oh, we just, you know, copyright. It can be tricky. Anyways, on to the next subject. Did you know that he was military propaganda? <laughs> it's sometimes I can judge a doc and say that it's a very well-made doc. But you also have to judge its purpose. And that's where it feels very icky. It's a really fascinating doc to look back at what Mickey has become as an icon, but it also felt like PR, obviously, for the mouse. And uh, yeah, it gets pretty gross. And Disney also had another one, More Than Robots. A fascinating look at these kids who get together to be able to... um, Mm I don't even want to say participate. They actually compete. I thought this was like a community thing. No, they're like teaching these kids what it's like to be in the real world. It's on Disney Plus, and it's surprisingly directed by... Gillian Jacobs, who many of you may know from yeah. Community, and made a movie where it says robots are cool, but community is better. Uh, <laughs> did you like it? I thought it was sweet. Uh, I didn't really feel like it was that nuanced in terms of its portrayal. Like it, it's kind of a. I think it would be a good documentary to show in like a science class for middle schoolers or something like that. Yeah, that's what uh, Disney Plus is for, for a yep. lot of these things with the National Geographic stuff. But I don't know. There was a point where it's like, and we are proud to sponsor this by Disney, our good friends at Disney and Star Wars. And I'm like, yo, half of this is an ad as well. So when you get to the students saying that their teacher had to give up their room so that they could have a place to practice, I'm like, no, no, no. Y'all ain't funding a documentary and then still not helping these kids with the resources they need. But it's still very interesting to see. I, I wanted to see more of the making of the robots. Yeah, same. That would have been cool. Um, I think I think there are fascinating scenes. I liked there's one scene where they're trying to demo their robot for a bunch of people and it's failing to shoot properly. And it's it's stuff like that where it's like, all That's right, cool. yeah. these, now the kids have to figure this out where uh-huh. it's at its most interesting. I guess go watch Spare Parts. <laughs> That'll do it. Another <laughs> Disney one that covered it. Um, another fascinating doc. Probably the best edited doc. It comes from Casey Neistat. The man knows how to keep your attention. It's so frustrating to see people <laughs> who, if they never got, I guess, a lot of criticism in the past couple of years, would have been talking about their rise to fame. And this mm-hmm. time try to excuse, oh, you know, it's because I had kids and whatever. It's so weird to see how they frame the doc because it just feels like, again, another PR type of thing. They're trying to recoup mm-hmm. their losses. But you're not really apologizing when you go, damn, I thought things were going to be bad and we're flooding the sponsorships. When there's no <laughs> responsibility taken. It was a very weird doc for me. 
but one that I know people are going to gravitate towards because it's breaking down David Dobrik. Yeah, I mean, I, as somebody who wasn't as familiar with, like, the ups and downs in David Dobrik's career, like, I did think it was pretty good at giving you the play-by-play. Really cool. I don't know, I don't know if it did as well as I would have liked to in terms of, like, then going the next step further and being like, okay, then what? Okay, then why? Right? Yes. Um, I think one thing that I would have liked to have seen is them interviewing a wider array of people. Like, I don't like any documentary that is going to cut to here's our expert. Like they have, they have Kat Tenebrae in the documentary, a really great doc, a really great journalist. I'm not trying to take anything away from her, but she's like their voice for all things, criticism of David Dobrik. And it, it would have been, I think you need in a documentary like that, a wider array of voices. Otherwise it kind of feels like, like a petty dispute almost and not, not the fuller story that it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. Like I do, I agree with you. I thought there are elements of the way that Neistat put this together that are he's really great. strong. And like, obviously he's a great editor. That's something he's demonstrated <laughs> he's so thoroughly, good. but uh, it, it, yeah, he's good here. It is also funny though. I, I do feel like there's a part of the documentary. That's one generation of YouTuber criti- critiquing another generation of YouTuber. I heard they're not talking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be after this. <laughs> I just thought it could go. Uh, I mean, it, he went as deep as he could. I think he made a great yeah. documentary. I just, I guess I'm, I'm more on the subject matter who I don't think, I, I think you're doing the inverse in trying to spotlight something. You're giving him more of that spotlight, but under the influence yeah. is a fantastic title. What a, that's a really good title. <laughs> yeah. um, really quickly on some of these other ones. We feed people. You, you know more about this guy. It was interesting to learn yeah. about him. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that Jose Andres is a really interesting figure and that their charity uh, is a uh, really fascinating charity, World Central Kitchen. Uh, Ron Howard obviously did this documentary, and I think Ron yeah, has I did done... Not know it was him. He, yeah, he's done a few documentaries, and I think they're all, like, very competently made, but not necessarily, like, formally ambitious. They're kind of... They, they're, they get you on the scene, and they get you good footage, but... Uh, they're they're pretty glossy in their presentation, and I think uh, it maybe like takes away from the feeling of intimacy when you get such a glossy presentation. But there are moments that are really really fascinating. I, I think the way that it tells you how uh, Jose Andres became interested in doing this type of charity is very interesting. Some of this on the ground stuff where they're showing you how they actually go and distribute food and, and put operations together is really cool. Uh, I, I like that. They're also showing some not positive things about how he goes about it. Like they're not yeah, afraid cool. to kind of criticize him too. Uh, so I thought it was really good. I, I also thought it ended really fascinating, really in a really fun spot. So I just think it's a, a pretty solid documentary about a guy who I'm pretty inspired by. I like when he said his approach was don't make food. That's your palate that you're trying to put on somebody, understand what they yeah. like and make what they, what they would eat. So that was really cool. Uh, final two docs I was able to see here split at the root. It's about, uh, immigrant families being separated. This is one of those while, you know, it's heartbreaking to see their stories. They make it so political. I don't get the idea of belittling one politician and then praising another politician when things haven't gone better. I'm going to leave it at that. Your friend Memphis, cute little doc following, uh, this guy named Memphis, who I think the director said he met at a, uh, some show that they were working on. He got fired. He decided to go meet with Memphis and he made this doc about him. Cool. (laughs) 
I guess you just follow the guy and his whole outlook on life is that you're always going to have conflict because what's a good story without conflict? Uh, and then one of the final ones that was out that expired on me, bro, literally. Uh, we are not ghouls. It is about Guantanamo Bay and you have this attorney who's kind of like breaking down that there was no oversight with Guantanamo. Um, I want to finish this one. It seemed pretty fascinating. So if y'all have a link out there, PR, gladly take this one. We are not ghouls, but... Boom, that was a total of 19 other documentaries from the spotlight. We have three categories left. You need a stretch, Zach. You need you need a cup of water. You need anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm all right. Uh, we did have a question from TMNT Addict asking, would you rather be able to physically attend the screenings uh, despite all the restrictions that end up going into it? Yeah. You know, I think you, if you're agreeing to go, they have whatever... Uh, things in place. They made us download the clear apps in order to be able to say we had our vaccines. You know, they tell you to put on the mask, but no one's really putting on the mask. I think, you know, I still want that experience out there. But like I said earlier on, I still want people to be able to have access at home if they can. Uh, a lot of that gets thrown away when you're dealing with geo-blocking. The World Wide Web being geo-blocked. Uh, or <laughs> studios not wanting to have things out there, even though it's going to be out on Netflix or a stream, or they end up on streaming services. Uh, but that just comes down to um, a lot of the, the people who are behind these movies. I don't want to get rid of the physical experience. I think the physical experience is dope. I don't want to get rid of the virtual experience even more, though. Yeah, exactly. Um, let me see where we got here. We have our visions category that I'll go through. Mm -hmm. This is kind of like the next category. Uh at South by the visions category is like, you know, trying to give you a different perspective, maybe more experimental. We'll start again from the top to the bottom. We only got eight here. Just caught this this morning, fresh out of it. The blind man who did not want to see Titanic. This was on my watch <laughs> list for last year because people were seeing oh. it uh, at some festivals. So best know, title in the festival. Dope title. You are following an actual blind man who I believe he himself has MS, and it's about how he is fascinated by movies before he started losing his vision. And he still has his movie collection, and you're just following his day-to-day -day life, uh, particularly just like a, a week, a couple days. Um, and as he tries to go see this woman who he talks to a lot, something happens uh, along the way to go visit her. I love this doc. Or it's not even a doc. I'm almost really? calling it a doc. It, it, it is a thriller. It is a drama. Ooh. It is a movie that if you remember Son of Saul and how they captured Saul walking around uh, in that film by bulking out everything out, they do that for him. So you're almost to a degree seeing how impaired his vision is. His love for movies is something that I think anyone can connect with because he relates so many things in his life to the films that he saw, his outlook, and the way that it gets played into the script as well. If Man, if you're <laughs> able to catch this movie anywhere, put this one on your radar because not awesome. only is it my favorite out of the visions, it's one of the best ones out of the festival as well. It really, uh, it, it, with all the movies that we've been getting about you know, people with disabilities, this one really puts you uh, in their shoes, really sometimes. Uh, and I thought it was, fast, it was a fascinating look at, at it. Very good performances, very good story. The blind man who did not want to see Titanic. <laughs> I love the title, bro. Uh, another one from the Visions category is Cheese with yeah. a dollar sign. We both got to catch this one probably, I think, the first one we caught from the fest. I think I enjoyed it just Absolutely. a tad bit more than you did. But it's interesting to know that this is part one of a trilogy. I still think it ends yeah. in a very nice place, but talk about it. 
No, I mean, I agree with you that it, it kind of ends in a place where I would have accepted the ending, but if there is going to be more, I'm down for it because I thought Cheese was a pretty fun, trippy, druggy vibe in terms of it, the crime story drama. it's giving you. Uh, yeah, a crime drama about this dude who starts selling drugs encased in cheese. Uh, it, I mean, it's the kind of movie where if you're you're stoned watching it, there's probably a bunch of jokes in there that are going to make you laugh that much harder. But Bro, what do you I, I also think there's some... <laughs> Yielded the chicken. He said, "You mild or spicy?" <laughs> it's hilarious uh, stuff like that. But there's also some stylistic things I really appreciated. Really cool the, stuff. The film has a very cool look. Uh, just the the cinematography to it. The way they play with subtitles is awesome. They they come onto the screen in kind of funny ways. There's certain moments where what the characters are saying out loud don't match the words they're saying in the subtitles. Bro, I thought and it was the, going crazy. Yes, thank you. <laughs> it was so intriguing to see that because they are speaking English in the movie, but because you know it, it's their island dialect, they decide yeah. to play with the subs. Um, what is it like a, a patois or something? I think it's called where it, it's like a the Japan not sorry, ja, Jamaican like yeah, blending of I believe so yeah uh, and this comes from Damien Marcano who right now dude he directed the pilot for Winning Time Snowfall Ooh. has a has a beautiful look to it he's done episodes of Claws so this is a dude who's been in the industry he made this from yeah. what I know back in his hometown with his buddies so <laughs> all that energy I think comes through obviously it comes out very indie. Um, but I, yeah, this definitely belongs in the visions. Honestly, it's I would have put it up with the comedies. It was a fun little story. Yeah. I can't wait to see what, what two and three do with it. Cheese. Another one here would have been Shadow. It's in the visions category because I don't. it's not a doc. It's kind of a dramatization. It's almost like a meeting that's happening with a group of neurodiverse, uh, they consider themselves activists, who are yelling at the machines. Once machines take over, what will they deem people? Will they be smarter than people? What will they do with the people with disabilities? There's a, a discussion that's had about, if I'm speaking English, why am I subtitled? Which is crazy mm. to go right off of the cheese thing as well. Um, it, it, they're playing characters, but each one of the actors is almost like playing a version of themselves. They all have a different uh, background to themselves and... They, like, bicker and fight with each other. The movie's only 56 minutes long, and it really hmm. is just seeing people who have these conditions actually discuss how they feel and how they interpret the world, how they feel machines are almost belittling them even more. And I like it. it this, is, this is what I want to see more of when we're making movies where they could speak for themselves instead of making a movie that's speaking for them or using them as a crutch or... Uh, Coda. Sell by Day is another one that's out, and it's just <laughs> as an unorthodox. Mm. It is a one-woman show where she is playing all of these characters, and in playing all of the characters, she's getting berated because she has a certain stance on sex work. Um, you know, it meanders at points when she's going back and forth between different people, but I like the different perspectives that she sits down with because she's dramatizing her point of view as she plays different parts of her psyche, but then she sits down with actual sex workers or people who have gone through a lot of these issues, porn stars, people who work in the industry, people who have OnlyFans, strippers, people who have hmm. uh, dealt with SA. I think it wraps up in a very interesting point of view that we did not know about her that changes the entire perspective, but it's also uh, a movie that has some surprising cameos. All, us, all I'll mention is that it's produced by Meryl Streep. So... Hmm. A lot of these movies, Interesting. Uh, not to, they don't play the Marvel thing, but you still almost need a name to it, you know? You're right. not a part of IP, but Meryl Streep is kind of IP. Uh, Unorthodox, <laughs> though. That was a new one that I hadn't heard, and 
I, I like that. I don't think it's going to be for everyone. Um, but I had a, I had a, it, it was interesting to see how she dealt with uh, a lot of the ideas and thoughts that right. she had in her mind and was willing to be wrong if she could. A Vanishing Fog is an experimental film that follows this young lad who's trying to take <laughs> care of his father while at the same time the entirety of the movie is reflecting on his land and how it's kind of being taken over. Yo, I, I don't know what happened in this movie. But there was some shots in this film that caught me off guard. It is a very slow movie. Again, it's an experimental movie. If it's that's not up your alley, definitely it's not going to be for you. But I think it was probably the the best shot movie at the festival. Unknown con- or Vanishing Fog. Uh, that if that's up your alley, then Self Portrait would have been up your alley. Because <laughs> Self Portrait is another movie where the entirety of the film is done through surveillance. Right. While I was watching this movie, I thought my internet was giving out. <laughs> no, it turns out that's it's just how it was got. Yep. Wasn't for me, but I have heard that this director has done some other stuff where the the way that she collages um, certain images or video like is really profound. So maybe I, I need to give this one a rewatch. But didn't do too much for me other than to showcase that Ave Maria has been used five times in movies this year. So I don't know <laughs> if the rights to Ave Maria have just been out into the public. But again, Vanishing Fog. Uh. Very experimental and surveillance, self-portrait, very experimental as well. Two movies to put on your radar if those two fascinate you. But you did get to catch The Unknown Country, which stars Lily Gladstone. I, I think she's a really good actress. Cannot wait to see her alongside uh, Leo and Marty Scorsese's upcoming yeah. film. But this was a very personal one to her. Yeah, this is a little bit more of like a mood piece in terms of the approach it's got this dreamlike quality to it 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 also feels almost like a blend between documentary and fiction i mean every character in this film has the name of the actor playing them so like how much of this is fictionalized really but i i kind of dug the vibe of it in in some ways i felt like this movie was doing the things that nomadland feels like it's doing in giving you the, these dip, disparate portraits of people across america i oh, knew you would think i knew you would freak out over that review that's why i held what it was until, okay thank you come on bro why'd it take a year for people to finally see what i was trying to say about nomadland thank you because it does it's like she'll she's you're following what is a narrative and then she'll like stop and speak to a real person right mm-hmm. and and kind of get their backstory Damn, I agree with you. That's how exactly I told it to Alina. I go, yeah, it's a lot like yeah. Nomadland, but like for real. Yeah, I mean, like it's she it's wasn't not, lying to the people. <laughs> there isn't a lot of mer- narrative momentum the way that I don't think there was a whole lot in Nomadland either. But I, I liked the way that it it kind of drifted from person to person, character to character. It obviously has a uh, also Native American bent to the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it is on reservation communities. And stuff like that. So I thought it was interesting. Um, you know, not necessarily one of my favorites from the festival, but I, I thought it was a thought-provoking film, for sure. Mm-hmm. Catch her in First Cow. She is great in First Cow. And I think it's telling you what she's telling you in this movie. <laughs> a killer, just small supporting role that she's got in there. Uh, one of the final ones, I did not get to catch this one, but it is definitely on my radar because Alina caught it. And the way she described this to me, I don't even know, bro. It's a ghost story, but not really a ghost story. It... It, I don't know. I, <laughs> Jessica. I'm going to put it on people's radar. I didn't get to catch it, but the way Alina described it to me seemed really interesting. It's the only one out of the Visions category I wasn't able to catch, but I'm curious to see how they do the ghost story. 
it got a lot of considering. pretty solid reviews from what I saw, and I could be That's wrong. Cool. Is this one of the ones that Shudder picked up? Dude, I hope so. I don't know about that, but if it did, I'm glad because then it'll actually have a, a proper release with it. But yeah, yeah, uh, Jessica, another one to have on your radar. And if y'all are watching, sign us the link. Two more <laughs> categories, Zach. We have yep. as I cut all of these global over here. The global category. This is their world cinema competition type category. They only had five. It was sponsored by Movie. Movie owns yeah. everything. And I'll start off with the one that I think was the best. Um, the Locust is a movie about making movies as they're making a movie. We're in the script that the movie that they're making, they're making a movie. Uh, <laughs> I don't know too much about the writer, director, also star, uh, but it seemed very personal. There are lines in this film that I think we will be quoting about what has cinema ever done to you? <laughs> Can you really live or breathe cinema if you're not really living and you're just really dying? There's just, yeah, a lot of quotes that deal with the aspect of filmmaking uh, and the obsession with filmmaking. But I'm going to put Lenore Will Never Die on People's Radar because that one from from Sundance, I think, is still one of the best ones. But if you're interested in The Locust, uh, yeah, it really dives into the idea and the concept of selling your film and how you're going to make your movie and how you're arguing with the crew that you have in order to make the film. Hmm. You saw Women Do Cry, and this would have been the second one by Maria Bakalova. <laughs> yeah, Maria Bakalova is in this one, and I, I did enjoy her performance in it. Unfortunately, I, I just didn't really respond to the film. It felt like the character motivations were a little bit all over the place. And I don't know. Um, there's some interesting elements to the story. I like that it's giving you like a, a very clear time and place, but I just couldn't really connect with this one. And I, I think you told me that Alina also had a similar experience to I did to what I Yeah. Did. She was breaking it down to me. She said it started really strong. Um, yeah. That she was good in the movie, but that, yeah, it's kind of teetered off towards the end. So still have it on my radar. We'll see if movie ends up picking it up since they sponsored the category. But yeah, those were the two we were able to catch from there. There was another three uh, we really wanted to catch without prescription. That's Yeah. I mean, dude, they decided to put so... So the fast is what? Ten days? They're like, how about on the four days while you also have to be there <laughs> watching movies in person? We put all of the movies... Uh, at the same time with only, <laughs> what, 24 hours to watch. Right. And then the last five days, like, we're only, we only have Mickey. We only have, like, one music doc. Mm-hmm. Without Prescription uh, follows a woman who has OCD and how she ends up finding somebody else, how they connect. <sighs> it's very intriguing to me. Didn't get to catch it, but hopefully we get to catch it soon. Yeah. Public Toilet Africa did not have any virtual screenings. You, you, need, you needed to be there in person. It... <laughs> As you can see there, uh, I don't know too much about the movie, but I will still have it on my radar whenever it gets a proper release. But Alina was just watching this one. Raquel 1-1. Hmm. I hope to catch this before I make the LME because I still have a link for this one. But the way that she pitched it to me was that this is a girl who's in the religion, in a church, and wonders, if we've interpreted the Bible in so many ways, why can't we interpret it again? And so she has her own verse. Raquel 1-1. <laughs> Oh, that's so fire. And I really okay. love the poster. I think it looks really cool. So this is, out of the remaining links that we have, my number, I think it's the last link I have, my number one to look forward to right there. <laughs> cool. But the global category, pretty interesting stuff in there. Not too big, only five. But we wrap it up with what we said. It's like a music festival. It's a comedy scene. So, of course, towards the end of the uh, festivities, they decided to only give out music stuff. So, uh, as you can see... I guess I'm not going to give you the number. We have 16 final films to cover. 
We're going to do this one differently. We're going to start from the bottom to the top. These were all the movies that were showcasing on the second half uh, to really push that idea of music. And they had interesting stuff, like The Return of Tanya Tucker, which I didn't get to see. But uh, I find it interesting that it's this title here. <laughs> but during the fest, as you're pushing an icon, you, you call the film The Return of Tanya Tucker featuring Brandy Carlo. Like, if this is some track where someone needs right. to hop on for SEO. Looking forward to it. Did not get to catch it. I just found that pretty funny. And it's right. got good reviews because I guess, well, the featuring Brandy fans were there. <laughs> Uh, there was another doc on Cesaria Vora that I didn't get to see about a very big vocalist, but the Cypher doc that is covering Tierra Whack just got removed from the festival. We reached out. We don't know what happened. Someone let us know. Dude, we are big Tierra Whack fans, and this was one of the ones that I was really looking forward to, and it just disappeared. There's no posters, no nothing. So, Cypher, hmm. if anybody knows anything about it, if anyone's got a link, send it to us. But let's get into some of these music ones. Yeah. Because this is probably the the coolest category that South by Southwest gives us. Like they they do yeah. a really good job of filling job. out the music documentaries. You know more about these guys. I, I like this Sinead O'Connor <laughs> doc more when she dealt with her politics from Sundance. Yeah, I don't know how you thought about this one. I mean, I thought it was an interesting documentary looking at how the band Chumba Wumba uh, has tried <laughs> to balance their anarchist political views with their fame and some, you know, power within the music industry. You know, there's pretty cool elements to their story, like how when they licensed a song to be used by General Motors, they then turned around and used the money they got to and donated it to a watchdog group that monitors General Motors. So it's stuff like that that's very cool. There's also this kind of like self-questioning existential element (sighs) running through the documentary that I don't know if it really... A lot of it it really added up to much. Like I could have done with a little of it, not, not as much as they, they did. It's, it's an interesting, it. it's an interesting documentary. Uh, but th- yeah, not one of my favorites from this category for sure. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know, uh, I think most people know the song I get knocked down. And yep. We probably just got copywritten. Uh, Dio was another documentary that I got to catch about the rock star, the dude who came up and took, Ozzy's place in Black Sabbath. Uh, they even showcase for those of you who are big Jack Black fans with the pick of destiny. This is the dude who inspired him. Uh, pretty interesting look at just his life and you know how he tried to change and make the band his own. Standard little doc, but I think if I I knew nothing, I knew not too much about Dio. I asked my mom, I was like, "You you a Dio fan?" She, I think she <laughs> prefers Ozzy, but uh, she's also like very satanic man. <laughs> <laughs> Which he also covers as part of his shtick. But Dio, Dreamers Never Die, for those uh, rock fans out there. The Cheryl doc I was really looking forward to until I found out. Thing's only 94 minutes. It's on. It's going to be on Showtime. It should have been a miniseries. I don't understand it. With an expansive career like Cheryl, it right. ends up doing kind of like what the Mickey doc does, where it's being honest and it's telling you the ups and downs. And she's very honest, and I, I respect that so much. But she's like, oh, yeah, so, like, I was with Michael Jackson, and I don't know why, she, why he had those kids. Uh, anyway, so I was with this other person, and he tried to have do something to me. He was in Goodfellas. Yeah, we cleared that up. Like, I wanted time spent on the right. stories that she was telling. She's very introspective. She talks about her own relationships. She talks a little bit about the making of some of these songs. It's Cheryl, dude. She deserves a miniseries, not 94 minutes. Not a bad doc, but it's just way too rushed, in my opinion. Mm. Um I think I like this upcoming one more than you did, but In the Court of Crimson King uh, breaks down King Crimson, who 
I think <laughs> probably our crowd, uh, I'm sure that they're big Crimson King fans, but our <laughs> crowd would know them from the sample that Kanye West used in Power, where they say the 21st century line. It's good, sorry, yeah. I thought that was pretty fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I think you like just, it a little bit less. No, I mean, I thought it was really, a really, really interesting documentary because, like, uh, the the guy I, don't, I forget his name who is like the band leader for uh, mm-hmm. King, King Crimson. Just the unwaveringness to his vision Ooh. and and how committed he is to a certain level of of quality of performance and his he he is very strict about how he wants to perform and who he wants to perform alongside. But like. Are these the types of things that are necessary to to achieve the level of you know competence or expertise that he has done over the years? I, as just a profile of of eccentrism in artistry, I thought it was fascinating. He says the line where he's still practicing, and the guy asks him why he's still practicing, and he dead looks the guy in the face and goes, "Because I think I'm getting better." <laughs> There's a lot in this doc that I very much like. This was another one where it was only playing in theaters. So don't let the guy know that we didn't see it the way he wanted to because the right. PR company was cool enough to send us a link. Hey. Uh, and because of that, I was able to catch it because it would not have worked in the schedule. I actually really like this doc. I like the way that he kind of like handled everything and that at the end, people didn't like him. But then years later, they were in that band and they were seeing uh, the audience members who would come in and say they were having a transcendental experience. And to look back and to be like, you're not giving those people that if you weren't, I guess, giving it your all. And I know that may be a little whiplash to some people. Maybe it's a little too much. But <laughs> at the end of it, no one really questioned what he was doing. Hell, there was even that one dude who says that he was taking pictures after the 45-minute mark when they tell you right. not to win a concert. He got kicked out. He came back in. And he said he enjoyed the concert. He wasn't even mad. Um yeah, I, I want to rewatch this one because, uh, yeah, it was very expansive throughout all, all all of their careers. And as a musician, I thought it was very interesting to see how they approached uh, the craft. Yeah, for sure. Jazz Fest, a New Orleans story, made me want to go to New Orleans to see this. A very fascinating look at the festival. It's, it's crazy to see Pitbull and Katy Perry in there. But a lot of the other musicians who were there, it was really cool to see how they really focused this on an artist point of view festival where they're actually playing instruments where the the food is speaking New Orleans. A lot of people I know review this by saying there's a moment where you're over there by the food and you, you could smell it. This is going to make you the the hungriest out of all the docs that you're going to catch. <laughs> and it makes me want to go uh, to the festival. It's also a really good look at New Orleans um, and the, the founder who's still alive, at least from the making of the doc, and looking back at how he started the festival and what happened to the city throughout and how the festival represents the city. Really sad to look uh, at it. As well as really good rejects. Um, yeah. I think we always hear from musicians and the ethereal experience they have with their instruments. This is a dude who makes them. Mm-hmm. I know you got to, to, to catch some of it. It was good, though, right? Yeah. The way that he was... It's it's definitely very fascinating just to look at like the process of making these guitars and how, you know... I think what's cool is hearing people speak about the different qualities of an instrument in a way that if you're not an expert guitarist, you might not even be thinking about those kinds of elements to the sound, right? Like he, one thing that's really cool about this documentary is it's not just a profile of this guy and the guitars he makes, but it speaks to many of the famous musicians, including Phoebe Bridgers and, uh, uh, 
It was was it um, Jeff Tweedy from Wilco was also in there. There's I'm trying to remember all the names in there, but a lot of like musicians yeah, I of love. Yeah. Uh, um, and what they were looking for in a guitar, and what they got from the guitar he made, and what what's different about it. And I don't know. It it it's fascinating to hear a musician break down a kind of element to music that maybe is under discussed. So. If you're a fan of guitar music in general, I just I can't see how you wouldn't enjoy really good rejects. I mean, he gets down to the woods he was using and the different yeah. things that he felt from the instruments. Ah, it's it's a good one. If you're if you're a guitar fan, you're gonna geek out with it. Yeah. Uh, a couple of other ones. Santos Skin to Skin, as we keep going up on the list. Uh, this pretty much covers a musician who has had multiple Grammy nominations. He, his real big push is Afro-Caribbean uh, music. Uh, his name's John Santos. And while the movie covers like his music style, he really harkens it back to like his ancestors. He really talks about how the instruments and the music and the rhythms have changed um, throughout the years and how he kind of sees it as like what he needs to pass on forward. So mm-hmm. really solid doc from his perspective and, and how he really revolves it around where he grew up. Uh, the Mojo Manifesto. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be able to handle a rewatch on this one, so I may go down, but this man had way too much energy. This is about Mojo Nixon, a dude who you're catching footage of him being young, being so loud. They cut to him now. Somehow the man's even louder. He's a dude who doesn't take anything. Uh, he'll he'll take no flack from other people. He's a big blues artist. Um, and he's a character. I guess that that's all I can say. If you want to see a dude who's always against the establishment, even though MTV is the one who made him, and then try to go against MTV because of that... <laughs> Mojo Nixon didn't know much about the man, but I sat there hearing him yell at me for about <laughs> hour thirty. Mojo Nixon, uh, and then this much I know to be true. One that I do want to catch a rewatch of because I did not expect this to be a very much concert film. Uh, I was just listening to a bunch of scores for our Oscar recap, and Nick Cave is massive. Uh, like yeah. I know of him. But I don't know of him like people do. People, right. I think this people the, the in-person one sold out as well. Mm-hmm. As you can see right there, they're planning a cinema event for uh, May. He shows you a lot of his background on what he's making and how he does more stuff than just music. But then he'll literally have this whole like concert that happens in the film. Yeah, I need to see this on my screen. I need to see this in a theater if you're really going to experience it. Uh, So it's a nice little hybrid of both. Uh, And I know Nick Cave fans really liked it. I can't speak too much of his music, but it was really interesting to see him. And I did not expect some of the lyrics uh, that he put into his song. So I will say that it was interesting to to see his process of it. (laughs) All right, Zach, we are down to our final four. These are the ones that we highly recommend right here. And we will be starting it with, uh, I think we're going back and forth for the most part. We recommend these four. Yeah. Anonymous Club. Take it away, bro, because I did not know about her. Right. Well, so this is a really fascinating documentary that looks at Courtney Barnett uh, and just how her relationship, like her relationship to touring and to music and to just being who she is in the figure of, you know, indie music. Uh, The documentarian Danny Cohen basically asked Courtney to record audio diaries while she was on tour. And then he assembled the audio diaries with various footage from her uh, touring. And I don't know, it's a, it ends up being this really fascinating rumination on what it is like to be in, be in demand and be thought of as somebody who's, whose words are powerful in that way. Right. Like I think over, over again, you see like, 
how much her fans really respond to her stuff. And I, I, I don't know. I thought the way it was all put together was great. There was a lot of great performances. It's a really fascinating look at uh, Courtney Barnett. I already have that love for her, though. So I was really pleasantly surprised to hear that you responded to the documentary, too. So Zach's been subliminally saying her lyrics to me because he brought up one of the lyrics. I was like, yeah, you have quoted that from me. Yep. I did not know that she her music is in BoJack Horseman. I mean, yep. freaking BoJack. I'm yeah, a gardener. I went into this. A lot of people were hyping it, you know, and it's one of those things where you go on Letterboxd and you see this little bump right here and you wonder, oh, is that just the music fans going in? Have they even yep. seen the movie? Um, look, it, it begins and you're thinking this is going to be a woe is me type of success story. And the way she brings it around and she connects to her fans... I kind of liked it. I want to rewatch it. And Zach has yep. sent me a playlist and I'm going to be listening to her music. So <laughs> if that's not a successful documentary, I don't know what else is. Uh, another one, Omiari, a song filmed by Kishi Bashi. Yeah. We were actually standing in line with this man getting tacos. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize how big this guy is, but he is a big uh, violinist. And this is his story looking back at the history um, crazy stuff, dude, especially right now, um, of Japanese people during a, the period in time in World War II where they had to leave everything. Yeah. Any Japanese memorabilia, any of their personal stuff, but some of them couldn't leave behind their accents or what they looked like. <laughs> and it was the camps that they were put in, and it's him going back to those camps to play music and kind of expand on his album. Yeah. He doesn't leave his family <laughs> to go do all this. Um, well, yeah, but it it's was a pretty tour. Yeah, it's a pretty fascinating sort of construction, right? Because it's he's sort of reckoning with his identity as an as an Asian American, and how yes. uh, I think he talks about in the documentary how it's something that he's long not wanted to pay attention to, or he's kind of rejected notions of being part of that community. But like he, through trying to make this new music, he decides to go and really educate himself and make sure that people people also have this education. Like he wants to use his music to spread uh, awareness of this stuff too. So I think it's a fascinating look at like an artist in preparation for an album, right? Like he's, it's how he's yes. balancing his own research with like his intentions and his personal life. So it's three it, dogs it, in one. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, the music in it is fantastic too. So I'd highly mm -hmm. recommend Omiyari. Uh, my only things with it would have been, <laughs> he goes back to the place, right? And he like, he says a joke for the people who are like touring the, camps they're yeah. like yeah there used to be sheep here and that's they replaced the sheep with japanese people and like he cracks a joke and they laugh and i'm like <laughs> a little cringy sometimes but again that concept of him you know being one with what he uh what he was always putting to the side i think it's fascinating because I think a lot of people don't want to do that, not just right. in Japanese and in other cultures as well. When you're not so connected, I think there becomes this rift, kind of like in uh, La Guerra Civil, where you're you're kind of like too embarrassed to learn what you didn't already, so you feel you felt behind. And no, nah, I thought it was cool that he took the time to be able to incorporate that for his daughter's life and her upbringing. So uh, that I thought was pretty cool. Put this one on your radar. Some some very the the best part of the doc was when he was interviewing people. Uh, who were still connected to the events right. that had happened long ago. So, Agreed. Down to our final two, Zach. And we begin with Getting It Back, the story of Samande. Yes, absolutely. So you were cool, oh. and you knew about these guys, <laughs> that's how they put it. You yeah, either I'm, cool, and you know about them, 
I'm one of those Samandi hipsters who who's like I knew about the songs before the documentary, so I get to I get to be that guy who's like nodding his head when they play uh, Samandi in the soundtrack for the worst person in the world. Um, I thought this was a really really cool look at this band who has achieved this like iconic status despite never really having the success contemporaneously that would you know facilitate that kind of legacy. Uh, they were. They were making music at a time when the UK was not ready for their success. And in fact, like the US was more ready for their success than the UK was as they get into the, the documentary. Um, I think as as a testament to the way that art has an ability to outlive a generation, outlive a time period, you know, uh, it can it can be made in one era and then resonate with people down the line. I thought this was fascinating. Uh, not to mention, though, that this is just really good music, too. Uh, when they get into that whole breakdown of the song Bra and how the DJs used to cut it up and replay the breakdown so people would dance more, like, that's just, that's the good stuff there. And I, I don't know. Um, I think sometimes... I think one of the things that I appreciate about it is it's a music documentary that spends time talking about the songs, right? Yeah. Not just the vibe of the band, not just like, oh, they were so cool. But like this music is really resonant with people and it became uh, very influential to disco, to hip hop, to to all sorts of genres. So, uh, yeah, go go listen to some Andy and keep this documentary on your radar. I saw the first half. Uh, without my headphones, I put my headphones on for the second half. <laughs> Completely different experience. Completely yeah. different experience because he's right. They take their time with that music. They're playing you those songs. Then they'll have the song playing in the back while they're continuing the doc. Yeah. Really good. And the 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 talks about sampling. Mm-hmm. I'll just leave that there. I love the discussion that they had there. Yeah. So when the documentary owned opened on Jim James talking about the Fugees, like I knew we were in for a good ride. It's good. Very good. Put this one on your radar. Our second favorite out of all the music ones that are on here. Zach did not get to see this first one. And it's one that's going to be divisive. (laughs) It's one that's going to end up coming out on Hulu in June. And it was the last thing I saw. I stayed an extra day at the festival for this before I headed back. It is the Look at Me documentary on (laughs) XXXTentacion. It was uh, the premiere that we got to go to. I know a lot of people have been waiting for this movie. I am someone who listened to the man's music a while ago. It goes through his entire life. It goes through parts of how he made music. It's more so how he rose to fame. And then puts that all as a back burner. Because as the editor put it, for every success he had, we wanted to show you all the bad that came with it. Hmm. I made a video a while ago. (laughs) <laughs> That's pretty much this movie in a video form. So I can just tell you that this movie hit on every level that I expected it to. It is a movie about trauma. It is a movie about uh, being big in the SoundCloud era. What that really meant. This gladiator style of y'all just want to see trauma. To what ends up becoming a person who was it too late for them to make a change. And if you believe in karma, they did not get what they were supposed to get. There's so many elements to this movie that I can discuss. I know people are excited for it. I know people are not going to like it. I know it won't change people's minds. This director right here was specifically chosen by his mom. Hmm. She had made this movie, Whose Streets? It's been on my radar for a very long yeah. time. Huh. And every Q&A answer or question that came up to her, they were crying. Hmm. Alina was crying. 
Uh, it was a crowded place, so I tried really not to cry because those were the best <laughs> lights. It was at the uh, uh, at the convention center. This movie, while being someone who knew of his music, I think hits every single aspect of it and really breaks down mental health and the cycles of trauma that we have uh, from generations and what happens when you have such a such spotlight on you. Look mm. at me works in so many different ways, not just from obviously his song, but but to the way she breaks on this doc. Uh, Saba did a fantastic job. I, I like. Nobody else could have handled it better than she did. It is not an irresponsible doc, is one thing I really took out of it. It is not an irresponsible doc. I think a lot of people see things like the Takashi docs that are out there right. and become, ironically, the exact same thing that they're trying to critique. Right. Nah, I really implore people to give it a chance. I think it will make you uncomfortable. I don't think it'll make you like him. I don't think hmm. it'll make you forgive him. But I think it has that discussion. And it's in my top three of the festival. Look at me, XXXTentacion, coming out on Hulu, June 10th. That is the festival, though. Out of all these movies here, Zach, I'm glad that you had the ability to still get a lot of the stuff. There's South by. This is my boy. Get him over there the next time, too, or else we're going to have to sneak in. I'm going to have to put you in my bag. I didn't know this here. But they, uh, so they have really strict bag policies, but I was able to do the working pass. Oh. I'll fit in here, bro. Give you my yeah. pass and I'll get in. We'll there try we something go. in there. Uh, you haven't had the chance to do South By, and I know that this no. is a festival that I is very brisket. expensive. Just for the brisket. We should just go to Texas just because. Um, but for the people who have never been, look, I understand how much of a privilege it is because unlike Sundance, unlike TIFF, which I think is ironically over the border and the most accessible one, mm-hmm. this is a very expensive festival. It costs a lot of money to get a pass and I don't take it for granted. And that's why hopefully this video uh, helps put some movies on your radar. A lot of yeah. these don't pay the hefty price when they're just going to be like I just said on Hulu <laughs> in a couple of months. Some of them are in theaters already. Um, you know, we're, we, we're very lucky to be able to get passes like these, and hopefully we put some movies on your radar. There'll be an yeah. LME that's going to chop all of these up in a more condensed fashion, and we have the letterbox down below. We'll have some stuff on the A to Z show website as well. Uh, but any movies that intrigue y'all, let us know. Hopefully we'll have some dates to update uh, on, and any movies that we missed, let us know, because we're always looking forward to some new ones. All I can say, though, is uh, I don't know if you have any other closing words, Zach. Uh, no, man. I mean, you know, I'm excited to hopefully be in Texas with you next year so we can catch all these movies together. Until then, y'all got the best one already on your horizon coming out yeah. in a couple of Ooh. days. Do yourself a favor. Go watch it. Uh, and yeah, keep watching movies, whether it's in theaters, whether it's at a festival, whether it's in the comfort of your own home. The whole point is that these movies take you places. And thank you, South By. Took me several places. See ya.